Jack. Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello, everyone. This is Jack with The Book Club from Hell, the most fanatical, capable, and malevolent agents of The Matrix. This week's episode is on the Tate Bible by Andrew Tate and G. Slim. For those of you who are unaware, Andrew Tate is an online influencer and former kickboxer, mostly appealing to the male under 35 demographic, who fights against The Matrix, a shadowy global system intended to prevent men from being men, women from being women, G's from making large sums of money, free-spirited, high-value, high-testosterone players from driving Bugattis at high speeds, and which, presumably, ordered the Romanian authorities to arrest Tate and his brother Tristan in 2022 on charges of human trafficking and rape. The Tate Bible is the work of G. Slim, a fan of Andrew Tate who collected Tate's various teachings from around the internet and collated these into a book. In the Tate Bible, we learn why depression is a good thing, why women's lack of combat readiness is a major problem, why owning expensive cars is a sign of inner virtue, and why you should never save money. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and want to support us, we have a Patreon account, the link to which is in the show notes. The people on Patreon can access the notes I make for episodes, so long as that episode warrants coherent notes, so if you want more information on the books or manifestos we've covered, you can find it there. As well as that, we're going to start releasing bonus episodes for Patreon subscribers, more details to come shortly. And finally, I've published a novel called Tower, a surreal, absurd journey involving the medical treatment of souls, a tower who remakes the world in its image, amphetamines, and a talking briefcase. You can find Tower on Amazon or on Apple Books, links to which are in the show notes. I also want to give a shout out to the bands Masticate, The Aftermath, and Deviant Process. If you're interested in metal at all, they're all well worth checking out, and incidentally, have members who listen to this very podcast. Links to these bands also in the show notes. So if you're ready to speed through Romania in a Lamborghini full of beautiful women, then listen on. Enjoy. So before reading the Tate Bible in anticipation of this episode, had you had much experience with Andrew Tate? Because I'd, I'd probably... I'd heard his name definitely. No. I'd heard him referenced, and I probably saw, like, a handful of 20-second clips or something like that from him. And and actually, through I think through Coffeezilla, when he was talking about Hustlers University in one of its various incarnations, I'd heard of oh, Andrew yeah, Tate. Yeah. But I, I'd never Maybe. done a proper deep dive into the Tate universe or outside of the Matrix. The two things are synonymous. I think before you suggested before you suggested the episode, which you actually I think suggested the episode last year at the mm. at the peak of Andrew Tate getting Tate trashed on or whatever, like Tate there was some Tate mania or something. The only time I'd ever seen his stuff was when I saw him on Coffeezilla. So mm, mm. I love Coffeezilla. I was such a big Coffeezilla fan. Uh, I, at least for some time, was supporting him on, on Patreon. Then he wasn't mm-hmm. putting out enough content. And then he put out this interesting video saying, the reason why I was able to make such high-quality content is because of my Patreon supporters. And I was like, oh, damn, I should have kept on supporting him <laughs> <laughs> because it was actually being helpful. So uh, I might go back to paying him on Patreon. And To those listening, uh, we also have He's Patreon. amazing which allows us to put out high-quality <laughs> yeah, content, yeah. like us reading the Tate Bible and talking about it for three hours or however long this episode is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you for anybody who supports us on Patreon. Thank um, you to our patrons. So, uh, yeah, so CoffeeZilla is awesome. And for anybody who doesn't know who CoffeeZilla is, he he covers 
essentially scams. He's evolved into this uh, independent, independent, independent investigative journalist online who's supported purely through the ad share structure of YouTube and the, his uh, Patreon supporters. Patreon supporters, and he puts out amazing content. He had a particular phase in what he was covering where he was really looking at uh, kind of internet hustlers. Mm. There's another YouTuber I like as well who's in the same area. His name's uh, Spencer Cornelia, who's also great. And they cover these these kind of like, some of them are outright scams, like people actually just defrauding mm. others, uh, like this guy named Jay Mazzino. Yeah, something like that, um, who is like, running an affinity scam on like these uh, Muslim communities in the US or whatever ended up in prison. Uh, But there's also this, uh, there's this thing online, right, Jack? I don't know if you've seen much of this. I I, I guess I would call it like the internet hustle culture. There's all these people trying to make money online and there's some good parts of it. Like for example, indie hackers. I, I really like indie hackers. They talk about like building software and stuff. And then there's this section of it which is about flexing and showing off that yeah. you're on a private jet and my cars and stuff, and then you'll post that all over Instagram. And there's an interesting subset of that that, and this is literally like the law of attraction. They don't actually have those things. They'll go and rent them, make a mm. bunch of content mm. about having those things, get a bunch of followers, and then sell those followers an, an online course about how to make money. And then they will actually get the money. And once having now they have the money to actually yeah, afford those yeah. things. And they've kind of like bootstrapped their lifestyle out of nothing by faking it until they made it. And I suppose it technically works. Like, yeah, it does, a number it of does times. work. Um, I think the only time where renting a Lamborghini actually appreciates in value. Like that money you put down grows. (laughs) And so this was the only time that I heard of Andrew Tate before you suggested Mm, him mm. was through Coffee Seal. So I just lumped him in with all those guys. I was like, okay, so this is just some dude who just like rented some Lambos and then pretended he was rich and now he's selling a course and now he actually is rich because he's able to sell yeah a thousand dollar course to ten thousand people so he's made a shitload of money but it was all kind of vaporware in the first place mm. and at least according to the online reviews his his the thing that he was teaching people anyways was money but i was wrong i was dead wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh how i was wrong when i was asking my friend about andrew tate i was like i've never heard of this guy have you heard of this guy my friend was like, yeah, have you been living on a rock? Like you make a podcast. Yeah. How have you not heard about Andrew Tate properly? <laughs> I think he, he's... Oh, sorry. <laughs> he's all over TikTok. My YouTube Instagram. recommendations are all Terry Davis at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I just don't maintain a social media presence or a meaningful social media presence. So I've bypassed Andrew Tate or he, has, he had largely bypassed me. I was vaguely aware is, of his Jack, shtick. I knew that he was yeah. associated with, like you said, how that sort of the the flexing part or the financial flexing part of social media, the that kind of like motivation porn or the the productivity porn part of of social media, and the masculinity part of social media, all of those things dovetail nicely, mm. and so. He sits at the the intersection of those three things and probably other aspects of social media. It's like the as well. manosphere meets yeah. 
productivity meets pickup sort of stuff, I suppose. Like it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of Manosphere. I'm not sure yeah, if like I'm bit... sure Andrew Tate has put out something about how to how to pick up women. He might have done it in his his PhD course, <laughs> the Pimping Hose degree. Yeah, which he's now disavowed. That was or on on one of the the various iterations of, of Hustlers University, or in the War Room. It's a, I'm pretty sure at least the latter two of those things were just Discord servers, a really really big Discord servers. So he might have imparted yeah, his huge. wisdom on how to be successful with women there, but it like, doesn't seem to be room. his focus. Well, he's not actually, like a PUA, and he's not teaching PUA no. tricks. Much of the time, when it comes to women, no, he he's says, teaching "Well, look, I'm really handsome. Excellence. I'm wealthy. I can fight, and I'm just really charming. So that's how it works. If if you're not me, then I can't help you." <laughs> yeah. So we found out, in particular. Like Jack wanted to cover him. I was a little bit not wanting to cover him because I just thought, <clears throat> sorry, I thought what we're trying to do here, this is part of the reason why I wasn't too enthusiastic when you when you first suggested Andrew mm. Tate, like back back when he was like peaking. Maybe we should have gotten on the train, but it's okay. I'm sure he'll peak again I at some, some point potentially. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was like, I don't really want to chase like... Um, like news, like t- there's this mm, idea of, mm. and Jack and I discussed this when we were designing the podcast. We were thinking timeless versus timely uh, content. And I thought, like, if we're responding to influencers blowing up and just being controversial, we're going to make timely content stuff that's um, coupled to the moment in time. The pinnacle of this would be like creating a current, like a, a news website, like BuzzFeed or something. Mm, you mm. always have to be pumping out new content. And you don't, they, it has no lasting power. Whereas a timeless piece of content would be like Snow White or Cinderella. Like mm. those movies were made at this point, like 60 or, or, or 80 years ago or something. And people still buy them for their kids to watch. What we're um, doing here is we, we, are, we are making the Odyssey. It's time. We're making the Iliad. <laughs> we're making the, yeah, this is in this is the Iliad. People will still be watching. <laughs> but I think I take, I think the reason why I thought, okay, actually, no, we can cover this book. Let's cover it. Is one, because there is actually a book what we're covering, or at least a little bit. And I think he's representative of a more... Uh, a bigger trend of something more durable talk about something than just someone in, like saying yeah, something outrageous on social media, like reacting to outrageous social media stuff. So we've spoken about now two geriatric thirty-year-olds who somehow managed to avoid the the Tate mania of the. We last are still years. within the Tate mania and demographic. Apparently, it's it's men under thirty-five. Yeah, are the ones who, who men, go men under thirty-five. So. That that explains why I have now started sending all my money to Andrew Tate. I've started telling my wife that she better stop working. Jack gained twenty kilos of muscle. Jack yeah, gained twenty yeah, kilos of muscle. Yeah, just by listening to Andrew Tate's week. funny accent, it's like English tinged, mostly American accent. <laughs> so, well, that's a good uh, segue into who is Andrew Tate, Jack. He's a he's a man of many talents. He's a modern Renaissance man. So he he's the child of Emery Tate, who was some chess grandmaster. I'll and just he, be one, he, one he brings that up a lot in in talking about why he's so smart. He he largely puts it down to how brilliant his dad was. 
he grew up, I think he spent the first 10 years of his life in the United States, then moved to the UK, to Luton, to, to live with his mum, where he, he says he grew up really, really poor. It's hard to say whether that is or isn't the case, given that a very, very popular, like the, the rags to riches story carries such mythological significance in our society. And so it's hard to say to what extent his personal rags to riches story is true or not. Like maybe he wasn't super affluent. I'd be surprised if he was begging on the street or something like that as well. Oh, he claims to have grown up, I I think, like in one suburb in the UK. That is particularly well known as being pretty rough. Hmm. Uh, people in the, like UK, the UK, do they like, call them us, projects in the UK? Uh, no. Like the community housing blocks, you know, like the, those big concrete apartment sort of vibes and they can get pretty rough. We've got similar sort of things in Australia, but I hear the ones in the UK are like hectic, like mm. really, they're really dangerous. Anyways, yeah, so that's what the, he claims. The, the extent to which that is or isn't true is hard to say, given that it's, it's such effective self-mythologization. If you if you can say that you were extremely poor and disadvantaged and now you're extremely rich by by dint of your sheer will, but that's what he says. He got in. He was a really good chess player when he was a kid. Then he got into kickboxing and was a world champion kickboxer, and said that he didn't make enough money kickboxing. So he, this is something which he now disavows, but he talks about it extensively in the Tate Bible, which we read for this episode. He then got into to running a bunch of cam girls. And I think he said at the peak of that, he had 70 or 80 women working for him doing webcams. In the, in the book, it says, yeah, like 70 or 80, and he was making millions of dollars. Yeah. Which later in his Piers Morgan interview, he, he tried. He, he says it, like, he oh, just maybe didn't I do made, it. Maybe I made, like, I didn't make that much money, like maybe a million. <laughs> yeah. In the tape, I was like, I made $10 million of 75 girls. <laughs> yeah, it, the, the value of Andrew Tate and of his various, his various ventures does tend to inflate. It's a, a strongly inflationary system. Shout out to Detroit. <laughs> I love Detroit. For those, for those who aren't watching us on YouTube, Levi's holding sip. up a mug Take in a front sip. of the camera that says, I love Detroit. Home home of American automobiles. I hope Detroit has a comeback one day. <clears throat> so Andrew Tate, right? Mm. Uh, any other important bits of context about? So I think what's important to know is that uh, he was a very good kickboxer. Mm. He held several uh, titles uh, in his weight division, which I think was middleweight. And like in fighting, as far as I understand from fighting, like when I was, um, so I used to be into the UFC and stuff. Um, I, I think middleweight is a really tough division. I think you've got these guys that they're large enough to do unbelievable damage, but they're also not so large that they get slowed down by their size. Whereas, I mean, the guy, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you know any fighters, but like somebody like uh, over him in the UFC is he's, he's a heavyweight and he's, lightning fast i'm not saying that lightning like the heavyweights aren't fast but i think the middleweight people 
they're they're so quick, but they're also big enough to do like he was like Andrew Tate's <laughs> six six foot something. That's, like that's scary shit. Imagine having a guy really hurt someone. Yeah. It's really like it's crazy. So and in kickboxing and Muay Thai, I think he was in kickboxing, not in Muay Thai. Yeah, he was um, I think Muay Thai is absolutely insane. Like it's like, yeah, insane. Uh but kickboxing. So um American kickboxing or whatever it's called. And he did really well. And his first appearance that I could find where he started like trying to become a personality is he was on this uh reality TV show about fighters about kickboxers and they had like teams and they were fighting each other and there was a representative from different countries. And then later he went on to Big Brother and got some more notoriety in like 2017. Oh, right. He was Wasn't kicked off season, Big Brother. Season two Big... of UK Big Brother or something. Yeah. And he was kicked off Big Brother because there was something on YouTube, he was being misogynistic or something and maybe there was a, an allegation of rape or something to that or a sexual assault. And so even though he wasn't he only lasted like a couple of episodes and then they removed him from the show. And then throughout all of the 2010s, it turns out he was making content. And so he's actually been on the internet, like on the internet trying to do this whole influencer thing for at this point, I would say at least 10 years. Mm, okay. And he was doing his own content, video content. But he, in particular, what he did is he did this massive tour where he just started like going on other people's shows, getting into mm. arguments with people and especially in the in the sort of 2020 era like 2019 to sort of 2022 he was there was at least one point where he was just like pumping out guest appearances on other people's shows um and then yeah i think so his his uh jump into fame was like he transitioned from thinking about his sport to like, how do I become famous? And he leverages mm. his success in sport as like social validation or not social validation, but uh, proof that he has something interesting to say about masculinity or fitness or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Is there any other important piece of context? I have one other piece of context, but I thought I'd let you, if you think there's anything else important to know about him. Uh, it's interesting that you you talk about how he uses his sports performance as as validation for his advice on how to be masculine because at least in the past at the time of writing of the Tate Bible he very much used his experience with cam girls as as further evidence for why he should be listened to why he's an authority to pay attention to on the topic of masculinity because he had dozens of women who were doing who were doing cams because they loved him and he he yeah. talked about how he yeah. learned all about male and female social dynamics by running this cam girl operation with his brother Tristan. And so yeah, he yeah. he he did use that as proof of concept before. Now that he's famous enough, and I think he's wanting to distance himself from cam girls, in part probably because of his current legal issues. Uh, I think it's it's de-emphasized because he doesn't need that that validation anymore that the fact that he is Andrew Tate has become its own source of validation it's for, thing. for his authority at one on point, masculinity. At one point he was Pierce Morgan said, uh, when somebody wrote into Google, who is the top prediction or the, like the top, I'm sorry, the most searched thing after the phrase who is, was Andrew Tate. 
So he's mm-hmm. like the most mm-hmm. Googled person in the world for at least some period of time. Yeah. Um, the fact that and- we weren't particularly up to speed on him doesn't mean that he's not famous. I think the, the man is extremely famous. Yeah, that's more of a yeah an indication <laughs> as to us. Jack and Levi, what they do. <laughs> like literally, if you look at my YouTube recommendations, it's it's um it's it's Terry Davis. <laughs> Terry Davis is too high to so go shopping. You're just watching Terry Davis and then streams on- nonstop. Yeah. And then my Instagram is all just like animal videos and predominantly underwater animals. Like, (laughs) look at this octopus being crazy. (laughs) And, and then like one other thing I really like is there's this, there's this really cute kid on YouTube called, and and the Instagram page is called uh, cooking with Levi. And it's this, it's this like three-year-old kid and his dad's a professional chef and he makes amazing food and his name is Levi. And everyone's like, what are we eating today, Levi? And I think, what are we eating today, Levi? (laughs) So I like that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I am definitely not in the the radar of, of Tate. <laughs> of, of what Andrew Tay is putting out. Um, so there were two other bits of context why, mm. I wanted to mention. One was kind of like his his fame per se. Like at this point, he's famous for, and we'll unpack those themes later. But essentially, talking about like he's appealing to young men, men under the yeah. age of thirty five, about like masculinity. He talks about also women, the role of women, like the relationship between men and women. Uh, and he just, he's essentially just put it, he's really good at marketing, but he's also very, Mm. like he sort of says things, he doesn't apologize for stuff. Uh, and he's somehow managed to let's like keep on steamrolling that and the compound interest on, on that strategy has just blown up to the point where he's one of the most, uh, famous people outside of something like Hollywood, um, Mm. like on the planet. I think he's managed the to ride the, the, mo- the moral panic wave very effectively. Oh, yeah, and he, like, had a whole thing about uh, COVID and... Oh, yeah, the, yeah, 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 the yeah, moral yeah, panic in, in the West about, like, the degradation of, of like, masculinity and stuff. Uh, and then the final piece of context that I'll note, I don't know if we need to make a big deal out of it in this particular episode, but um, at the moment as of recording... Uh, he's awaiting trial from the Romanian government on charges that include uh, uh, human trafficking and sexual assault. If you want more details, go and look it up. Um, My opinion on that stuff is that he hasn't been convicted and I assume I, I adopt the attitude that somebody is innocent until proven guilty. Um, And, but last year in 2022, uh, sorry, 2023, he was locked in uh, a prison for like 90 days or something. Mm-hmm. And for some yeah. period of that time, he didn't actually have charges pressed against him. All his assets were seized and uh, eventually he was released, but he's now under house arrest or he was under house arrest. I don't think he's under house arrest anymore, but he can't leave Romania. I believe his assets are yeah. still seized, but somehow he's financing his his life still and mm-hmm. podcasters like George Janko and journalists like um, <clears throat> Piers Morgan have flown to Romania to talk to him at his house. And uh, I guess my basic opinion is uh, I, I don't think uh, based on what I've seen of his previous life and how he's evolved as a person now, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there ends up being a conviction 
Mm-hmm. Like I just, my spidey senses just tingle. Like I just got this, like, I, I don't know. It's nothing more than intuition. Just like watching the interviews with him and his brother and like the stuff that he used to talk about and the way that he used to behave and stuff that like maybe things are catching up with him. And, but I have no evidence for that. But at least at the time of recording, he hasn't been convicted. He's innocent until proven guilty. And um, and if he is in fact innocent and they've just dragged this guy's life through the mud and they don't get a conviction, then that's that's also bad. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of ambivalent on that issue. Yeah, I'm I'm in a very similar position to you regarding his his legal travails in Romania. I wouldn't be surprised if he were convicted, and I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if he had raped someone if he had been involved in human trafficking. But I wouldn't I be just, surprised. I, but I don't know enough. Like I, I'm not hugely up to date on the publicly available information on the prosecution. Yeah, let alone, like, been, I, I'm certainly not privy to confidential information that that's taking place or what. And I and I think like some of the stuff is is like okay, his character suggests that he obviously at least historically, had a very um, demeaning and so forth attitude towards women. And you'd expect somebody who has those sorts of attitudes and beliefs about women to perhaps not treat them well. That doesn't mean that Mm. he actually did any of the things that he was accused of. And Mm. some of the stuff that's been leaked to the media from the trial is basically like, it's it's essentially character assassination. Um, But to be fair, it's also like he sort of, he said these things. So he sort of assassinated his own character. The Um, thing is- But you can't be convicted of being a misogynist. Like he has to have actually something concrete. And if, like this is purely speculative, if it is, as Andrew Tate claims, a way to try to smear his name, then- I guess the the people who are trying to smear his name in this way have completely misunderstood why Andrew Tate is popular. In yeah, and it'd be great to talk. We can talk about his marketing yeah. tactics and the Matrix and his narrative. He's he's fucking like he's he's like world class at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Should we give think people the context as to what any this other book that we major pieces was? of context? Yeah, let's start talking so. about the book. If there is something major, it will it'll come up. So we read it'll the come. Tate Bible. Yeah. Which when was the Tate Bible? Published actually. So what the Tate Bible is is twenty nineteen. Okay, so there's a twenty twenty three edition. So it must have been like it, twenty. It must Tate yeah. Bible because it talks about COVID. His stuff twenty twenty two about COVID and whatnot. So twenty twenty two. So it's it's a recently published book. What it is is Andrew Tate didn't write this. Andrew Tate in a number of his his videos and tweets etc. has said that he just doesn't have time to write books. He's too busy making money. Instead, what happened was one of Andrew Tate's (laughs) fans, G Slim, during COVID, during the lockdowns, he came across Andrew Tate. And the book begins with G Slim describing what led him to compile Tate's wisdom into the Tate Bible. And he said he was locked up. He was was in lockdowns. He was going stir crazy. And then he came across Andrew Tate. And it was almost as if he just surfaced for air for the first time that this guy just made so much sense. He made so much sense to the point that that G Slim decided to start compiling all of the wisdom that Andrew Tate had bestowed upon the world and to, to put it into a book. And then once he'd done that, send it to Andrew Tate and say, look what I've done. Do you want to put your name on it? And Andrew Tate saw, saw the work that G Slim 
had done and saw that it was good and he said yes i will i'll put my name to the tape bible <laughs> so and on that note on that note mm, mm, should we read before we commence our real deep dive now that we've given who is andrew tate how do we find out about him now we're going to get into the book and the themes of andrew tate's work uh, are you gonna are you gonna read the um the Tate's, Tate's prayer or something prayer. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me, all right, in a sacrament to the Holy Spirit. Love you. Love you, God. Uh, the Tate, You know, anybody who doesn't believe in God, they just need to look at somebody like Andrew Tate and they can see, you know, Allah, well, he's a, he's Jesus, a whoever, it doesn't matter. They're, he can, he converted to Islam. How can you say, yeah, how can you say that this there is no God when there's a specimen like Andrew, Emery Andrew? Oh, where he so. talks about how, like, <laughs> I'm tall, I have muscles, I'm caramel, I'm beautiful, I'm God's gift to women. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intelligent, I'm rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, there's a God. Uh, so, the Tate's Prayer. Our Tate, who art in Bucharest, Andrew be thy name. Thy kingdom come through came and fun. Online as it is on the blockchain, give us this day our daily vodka and forgive those, the shit munchers, for their trespasses against us. Lead us to women for temptation and deliver unto our dominoes. For the, for his is the Lambo, the McLaren and Ferrari, forever with Tristan. Amen. Oh, man, he loves his cars. He absolutely froths Love, over, he loves his over cars. his cars. He loves his, he loves his little brother, Tristan. Mm, that too, yeah. He really, really loves his brother Tristan, and, and he and loves making money and fucking women and driving fast cars. And yeah, yeah. I mean, we could probably stop the episode now. That's that's Andrew Tate. There you go. <laughs> I think yeah, while Andrew the Done. specific beliefs, specific beliefs of Andrew Tate's are quite slippery because he he modifies how the the Tate soul, the Tatean soul, is is actualized depending on whom he's talking to whether he wants to outrage them or in some way impress them he is malleable in some of the specifics of of what he says and what he claims to believe but his general posture towards the world is quite consistent and so i think it, it's it'll be worth us giving people a sense of that posture do you want to, Are you saying that, that we shouldn't end the episode? Is that what you're no. saying? <laughs> we should actually continue. We should continue to do the rest of the episode. Oh, we've we've only delivered half an hour or so of value, and given that we both we're both men, we love making money. We understand so much value. life is suffering, we need to be high value and that men. all you can do to alleviate the suffering is to make stacks, make fat stacks, stack sats, and just spend all of it on driving a, a sports car through the the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, we've got to keep going. Okay. Do you want to talk about well, his? I will suffer to, through it. <laughs> do you want to talk about his fan base first, or the the aspects of his philosophy, the the Tatian world? I think let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about his fan base because yeah, this is a book by a fan. So what's really interesting, and I didn't know this, but his fan base is really uh really motivated they're uh, they're dedicated uh and i you know interestingly i was thinking about this episode and the overlap potentially between there might be a small overlap between people who listen to us and people who 
uh, a followers of Andrew Tate, you know, because we've done things like Sun and Steel and there's the boys we in the Discord with the gym club and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we give, you know, and there's a, uh, what's that a young guy's name who just loves, <laughs> who loves uh, lifting weights on the Discord? Um, sorry, I'm blanking. There are a number of those moment. people. Um, Cryo likes yeah. lifting weights. Dave <laughs> likes lifting weights. Heilig likes lifting weights. <laughs> there are a number of them. No, Hans. The, Shout the, out the to German. Hans. Hans, yeah, Hans. Fucking psychotic yeah, gonna... German guy. <laughs> <laughs> Completely psycho. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Hans is like a Tate following person. Yeah, I, know, yeah, I don't want to insult anyone whatever i don't know hopefully hans doesn't take that as an insult but so there might be some overlap so i was thinking also how do i how could we frame this episode or talk in particular to our followers or our subscribers or whatever who like us because we talk about weird intellectual crap Mm -hmm. like decline of the west or whatever but then also follow uh andrew tate so there might be a small overlap we pick up more of those tate fans how do we, how do we attract the wrath of the Tate following? <laughs> it's, it's like five million people just come along to tell us like we're poor and we're not jacked, so get fucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, as we've already said, the Tate fan base is it's largely young men. I'd say large, young men who are in some way disillusioned with their lot in. In Western countries, I'm not sure how much reach he has outside of probably like, highest on the English list. English speaking countries, yeah, like the Anglophone world. Then below that, I anticipate to be continental Europe because a lot of them speak yeah. English quite well, especially young people, and just live in similar yeah. material conditions. The Anglophone world. I don't know what he's like in uh, China. Or in Latin America. Or the UAE. But, <laughs> yeah, because he, is, yeah. he, he did convert to Islam. And so mm. that, that's an interesting piece of context as well. A lot of his older stuff, like pre, I don't know, when he converted to Islam, probably 2022 or something. Um, and he sort of mentioned that on the Piers Morgan interview. He's like, you know, that I, I used to be atheistic or whatever, um, non-religious. And, uh, you know, at least recently, that's become like a big part of his persona is talking about God that sort of thing mm, um mm. and uh so and i have seen pictures of him like i don't know walking around in dubai or whatever with like i don't know i assume important um people in the arab world potentially so he might have some following amongst um english-speaking people from the uae and, and countries like that mm. yeah it Tends to be young young men who I imagine have had some sort of problems either with money or with women or some sort of sense that their life hasn't stacked up in in comparison to their expectations that they're somehow dissatisfied because much of or what he just talks about self improvement train or whatever yeah yeah he he talks a lot he offers a a fairly nebulous narrative, but a highly flexible narrative, to be generous, to explain why things are hard at the moment for young men. And I do think part of part of why some of his fans or why, why a number of people have found him so compelling is that in talking about masculinity, so this is largely, I imagine, an artifact of of my class as someone who went to university 
at least at university, discussion of masculinity feels like you men mean are being somebody who was brainwashed about. by the Matrix. Yeah, I've, I've been Sorry, brainwashed and I need to by the Matrix. Brainwashed yeah. by the Matrix. <laughs> but at least at university, and and in among people who are university educated or you know, adjacent to that sort of world, discussion of masculinity feels like men are being talked about and very rarely talked to. Whereas Andrew Tate, in discussing masculinity, talks to men. And I anticipate that yeah. like, very simple That's act of recognition goes quite a way to explaining why he's so popular. Yeah, he's directly addressing young men. And as we will talk about like stuff that he does well, um, a lot of what he says um, directed towards young men is um, by and large positive, he's, he's saying. Yeah. Work out, go make money, make something of yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, and that's there's a place for that. I think we'll talk about it when we talk about the manosphere, but there's a, there's mm. a place for that. And so uh, there's a huge contingency of his followers, a very motivated young man who I suppose potentially have had their life positively impacted by his uh, motivation or inspiration, or maybe they're a part of one of his online communities and they've uh, gotten a lot out of that. So they're very motivated. There is a small contingency. I don't know what the percentage is. Obviously, I don't have access to his analytics. Uh, there is a contingency of women as well who apparently are really into him. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I was I'm, looking at like some YouTube comments and every now and then there would be a woman who's like, yeah, we need more men like Andrew Tate. I just wish like a man would, you know, step up and, you know, look after me or whatever, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm. And yeah, really into him. So there's that as well, but I'm not sure what percentage of his audience that would be. Yeah. It's I also just much how, how seriously you can take some, audience. someone commenting under a YouTube video where they start their comment as, yeah. as an X person, I agree with this or something like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, I it, whenever I, whenever sure. I see like someone saying, yeah, I'm a black person and I agree with this on YouTube, I just immediately assume that they're white. <laughs> when someone says like yeah as a woman i love andrew tate i just immediately assume it's some like 26 year old dude <laughs> yeah well as we all know the internet is fake anyways so it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't exist <laughs> it's it's not even a place all where, where all people, of our discord is just to be otherwise Jack. congregate i think the internet is actually a psyop and doesn't exist yeah we've just been told <laughs> that the internet, and the internet exists, is fake. exists such that we hallucinate <laughs> thoughts onto a blank computer screen Whenever we think we're logging into the internet, <laughs> the the entirety of Twitter is actually just your conscious, your unconscious self. You're gaining a slight, slightly more direct access to your unconscious whenever you think you're logging onto Twitter. <laughs> so, in summary, the reason why he's got such a big, big audience is because he just delivers so much fucking value, just all the time, just nonstop <laughs> value, dropping truth bombs. He talk, drops truth bombs about the Matrix and the gynocracy. Actually, I've never heard him say that word, so I don't know if you. No, I don't think he's talked about the gynocracy, <laughs> but the Matrix, and he's just trying to like. What does he say? Um, he he speaks to the masculine youth. The the mm. the. Uh, I think he calls them the strong masculine youth. He's trying to mm -hmm. uh, promote them and build them up. And he's, he's, he's speaking, he's, he's speaking to power. And because mm -hmm. of that, this, his contingency of fans love him. Like I, I think from yeah. what I can see, like people really fucking like this guy. Uh, and I even came across a random 
um, Instagram profile and I wasn't doing any research for this show. And I, he just like left a comment or something. I was like, okay, I'll see, check out this profile and see. And it just said like, uh, hashtag, like in his profile, he had hashtag free, free top G. <laughs> this whole hashtag on Instagram, people putting in their bio and on posts, hashtag free top G. <laughs> <laughs> It's like bigger than Julian Assange, or like people care more about freeing Top G Cobra Tate than yeah, well, of than course they do. Julian he's so much more entertaining than Julian Assange, which brings up <laughs> another reason as to why I think he's so popular is that he is really entertaining when you watch him in interviews. Because I'd never seen him interviewed for an extended period until Levi sent me a a two part Piers Morgan interview uh, from from very recently, so I didn't quite appreciate how well he speaks. And how entertaining he is to watch and to listen to. So that the yeah. way in which he delivers his message is highly engaging. Also, just he's in an terms of good speaker. Yeah, in terms of public speaking, he's remarkable because he doesn't really use filler words. He barely pauses when he's speaking. It sounds almost like he's reading something. It's so slick, but he's not because he's he's responding to questions on the fly. In real time. He's also, yeah. uh, we can talk a bit more about this later, but in terms of being able to deflect very difficult questions, he's remarkable at it. Yeah. Because oftentimes when he's asked something uncomfortable, something that he clearly doesn't want to answer, he'll oftentimes find... as well. Yeah. He'll oftentimes find a topic which has, if not complete, then quite a lot of popular support on one side of it, you know, something that is relatively uncontroversial and start mm. talking like talking about that. And it's really interesting over time, noticing how initially these two things, at least in his, in his answer. So his answer to a direct question that he doesn't want to answer and him talking about something other like male suicide rates, something fairly uncontroversial. That's a bad thing. How initially they're conjoined, but he'll then follow the thread of, something he's more comfortable talking about and go off in that direction. And suddenly the interviewer has been pulled away from their direct question and is now almost having to defend themselves against a, a tacit accusation of in some way supporting this bad thing that Andrew Tate is now talking about. He's, he's remarkable at that. He's highly entertaining and incredibly slippery. He's just Teflon coated. So <laughs> I think that goes also quite a way to explain his popularity. If if this conviction doesn't go through, if he doesn't get convicted, so if uh, yeah, if he doesn't get convicted and he's able to, it's going to be rocket fuel on the fire without a crim criminal uh, convictions. I I think because he's a he's a natural born citizen, he is he could run for president. Yeah, right. Actually, yeah, that's that's true. Actually. Yeah, he was born in the I US. I mean, I think in order, in order to be, uh, you have to, I believe one of the other criteria is you can't hold other citizenships. So he'd have to relinquish his UK citizenship and any mm. other passports and stuff, I assume. You know, I don't know about the details. Um, but he could run for president. And so if, he, and I assume, I, I also assume, again, this is just me pulling this stuff out of my ass, but I assume that in order to be able to run for president, you also have to have a clean criminal record. I would imagine that'd be one of the main things. 
or at least for certain types of convictions. So if he gets through this, I wouldn't be surprised if in 20 years, if he's still got a career, he pulls a Trump and he runs for president or something in the US. That's actually a good uh, Just he's, he, would be, he would be a remarkable politician. Yeah, because he's already good like, at doing I don't, stuff that I don't think a do, like major evading, party evading would touch motions. him, but as an insurgent candidate or, okay, maybe the, the establishment of a major party probably wouldn't want to touch him, but and the donor class probably wouldn't want to touch him. But yeah, now on a, like, on a debate years, stage, it'll be a complete bloodbath if you put a retail politician next to Andrew Tate. Imagine putting Tate against Trump, you know. So... Oh but man! The thing is, I saw this. <laughs> or Trump, Trump with Tate as the VP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw this. I saw this. Uh, there's an Oprah interview with Trump, perhaps in the 80s or early 90s, where she asked him point blank, "You know, you you care about all these political issues with like the city of New York and that sort of stuff. Would you ever consider running for mayor or running for president?" And Trump said point blank, no, I would never do that. I'm a businessman. Mm. I politi- politics. And then obviously 30 years later, as we know, you know, he he decided to go into politics. Very good speaker, very motivated audience, and obviously has all the experience of running his businesses to be able to organize things and that sort of stuff. And he ended up going into politics. And Oprah, Oprah Winfrey called it. She's like, yeah, mm. you she had the well, I think most like most saliently for Trump, he's really entertaining and it you know the 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 entertaining factor goes both positively and negatively which is really really important in a democracy and also really really important for generating press because the people who like him he's positively entertaining in that he says things largely that make people they don't like really really angry and he's negatively entertaining for people who don't like him because there's a perverse pleasure to engaging with things that make you angry and to a yeah, large exactly. extent, algorithmic social media really, really hijacks that. And newspapers want and and traditional TV stations want viewers, they want readers. And so they're also more than happy to capitalize on that that perverse pleasure of being outraged. And so in the negative sense too, he's highly uh he's highly entertaining. And Andrew Tate is similar. Uh, the people who hate Andrew Tate seem to to get real value out of hating him. They seem to really enjoy hating him. There's some sort of perverse pleasure they yeah. get out of loathing the man. Yeah. While so people who like any... Andrew Tate, like G Slim, who compiled without knowing that he'd get book. any money out of it. Yeah, a whole book or two, because there's the Tate Bible, the New Testament. Presumably what we've read is the Old Testament, but there's a second Tate Bible as well. So he kept going. So Andrew Tate's fans too find him positively entertaining, highly entertaining, and in a mass democracy that wins elections or at least gets you gets you a huge amount of airtime. So yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that that he could be an effective candidate if he really wanted to. If he doesn't fuck this up, if he doesn't get a conviction and all that sort of stuff, uh, I don't I, actually. I don't know what the I'm law sure is that would, in in the United States. I don't in know terms what the law of, is. Maybe of, it's of fine. Criminal records and being able to run. I really don't know. Yeah, I don't. know. Maybe it's fine. Maybe he can get a conviction for sex trafficking in, in Romania and still go back to the US and become and then depressing. fucking nuke them as so, commander in chief. <laughs> Sean yeah, so boss. No concrete prediction here, but. I think it's in this. It's in the realm of possibilities in mm, in our lifetime mm. uh, when when he's like fifty or something. Uh, so 
that's really interesting. Uh, the book, so we've spoken about how motivated his fans are and all that sort of stuff and who he is. And do we want to talk a little bit more about the book in particular? So I what exactly we is should... this book? So it, at least at circa 2022, I think it was, it's seeking to provide a compendium of Tate's best interviews, his best posts on various social media platforms. And the G Slim, the person who compiled it, said that as much as possible, he sought to, to present Tate in his own words, or in, in Andrew Tate's own words, not G Slim's own words. Which is so really it, important. He's <laughs> documented all the stuff. It's really important. In every third word is some variation of fuck or motherfucker. Otherwise, I simply could not enjoy this book. The that uh, that stylistic choice was very, very important when it when it comes to both your ability to enjoy the content and to to get philosophical insights from Andrew Tate's wisdom. So it was important that Andrew Tate was presented in his own voice by G Slim. Yeah. <laughs> I th- in terms of discussing the content, or at least Andrew Tate's posture towards the world, I think we'd be best off talking about the Matrix and then reality. Yeah. In terms and of specific, like itself... specific chapters from the book, they're so highly repetitive. Oh, we can just references. Going through chapter by chapter isn't going to be that helpful. No. We can just reference the theme. So the, the key thing is that it's essentially just a, a compendium of transcribed videos. Mm, so mm. there you go. <laughs> and if you want to pinpoint exactly something that Andrew Tate has said and then repeat it back to him, you could just use this as a source <laughs> to say, well, yeah, you said this. <laughs> such is his Bible. confidence, though. When he's being interviewed and someone pulls <laughs> up a piece of evidence saying, like, you said this, he, he will just say, no. Or he will just, he will do something like, he'll he will say, I was being sarcastic. Yeah, but the I context. believe it. I was being but sarcastic. I was being sarcastic. And so you, yeah. Which is oftentimes <laughs> a, an invitation simply to read into what Andrew Tate said in, through, the, through the lens of what Andrew Tate wishes to say in this immediate moment. Yeah, whatever's convenient for him to say mm, at this mm, moment. His self exegesis. Don't worry his, about his previous what the words were. say. I was being sarcastic. Worry about what I'm saying right now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So the the lens through which we thought it'd be cool to or useful to talk about the themes that Andrew mm. Tate talks about is to frame it as the matrix. What's the matrix view of the world versus what's what's the reality of the world? And we've got a few major topics and we can just go through them one by one. Do you want to start on the matrix view of the world? So what is the matrix? The matrix. So what is is the matrix? (laughs) It's what they want you to believe. You know, them, the bad ones, the bad guys, them. (laughs) It's what they want you to believe to keep you docile and controllable. They. To keep you a slave. They. The Pinchonian they. The world controllers, the people who control the economy, the bankers and the politicians. So, mm. uh, international finance. One way of, if you will, I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you centralized finance. In fact, so mm. one way of interpreting the matrix, if I try to pass it through a not 
negative interpretation of Andrew Tate is <laughs> cult, cultural motifs and institutions that uh, villainize men uh, and keep the populace dumb and docile to extract wealth from them, mm, to extract mm. power from them, to control them. And they, quote unquote, they uh, are these people doing this and uh, education and jobs and all that sort of stuff. And the media. Um, and, the, and the media, of course, the media and uh, the mainstream media, man. So <clears throat> that's kind of the... the the non-negative way of putting it, the Pierce Morgan way of putting it, which was a little bit more skeptical was just like, okay, so anybody whose point of view you disagree with is the matrix. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it is convenient how those two things seem to align so perfectly. Seem to overlap a lot. It's, yeah. and it's, 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 uh, it's conspiratorial. So you could think of it as, Either it's this diffuse cultural thing that we're labeling like negative aspects of the world, the degeneracy of Western society and the downfall of London <laughs> or, uh, and that's not as conspiratorial. And then there's the more conspiratorial interpretation of it is like, okay, there are actually mm. elites and they are organized and they have malicious intent. I think Andrew sort of speaks vaguely enough that you could try to say he takes yeah. one or the other of those more intentional perspectives of it. Yeah, which I think goes some way to explaining his his popularity in that he's precise enough to point at, or at least to orient people towards actual problems. Like he he gives enough information that people can look at what he's saying and say, oh, well, that does have some correspondence to things in my life. However, he doesn't give enough information that that many people are able to go, oh, actually, no, that doesn't correspond to my life. He keeps it vague enough that it's almost, it's almost like tea leaf reading. You can, you can see shapes in it. There's, there's enough of a, a almost a, a strange pareidolia that you yeah, can see within it just takes things that are already within your mind. chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as just, as actually meaningful. So uh, I, I often ask the question in this show. I try to ask it every episode. I don't know if I actually do um, in my he own head, at least, if not explicitly. It's the idea of what is this person's yeah, if, problem if you, if you subscribe to what the highest the Patreon tier, you actually do get telepathic access to the interior of Levi's. Into our minds. Episode. <laughs> if you just want to deepen your interaction. With this it's just health. a monkey clanging together symbols. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, uh, what's and what I mean by problem situation, this is a term that Karl Popper came up with, this idea of when he talks about historical analysis, because uh, he was taught, he was trying to bridge this gap of like history as a field of study. How can we make that philosophically better than just um, taking on like a Marxian lens and then just interpreting history through the Marxian lens or whatever? Um, he's and in particular, he's talking about studying the the history of science, like Galileo, or he particularly focused on Copernicus. And we might think with the current knowledge we have, the, the the ideas that Copernicus or Kepler came up with, like Copernicus was, I think, talking about these like models of the solar system operating on circles and like epicycles and stuff. We think that that's dumb in hindsight, 
but he he said like not merely what problem was he working on the problem he was working on was like how do we explain the movement of the stars but the problem situation was what was the what were the ideas in the culture at the time that mm, Copernicus, mm. like at the time that Copernicus was writing, they didn't really have a theory of like ellipses and stuff really sophisticated. And they also had these existing ideas that per, circles are perfect, you know, these platonic shapes. And so if there's the, the cosmos is going to move according to not an ellipse, which is imperfect and imperfect, a skewed circle, but it's, it's actually moving according to like these, um, uh, perfect shapes. So, Copernicus, if I'm not fucking, or it might have been Tycho Brahe, whoever it was who came up with these ideas of like, okay, well, it's still circles, but they move on these epicycles of bigger circles. So the pro- the broader problem situation was actually what were the other ideas in the culture and what were they working with? Mm-hmm. What ideas mm-hmm. were they working with? Not just just the problem by itself. And so when you think through somebody like Andrew Tate, it's not merely what problem is he dealing with. He's dealing with the problem of, say, like, um men being villainized in like well the, the, like, the role of men what does it mean to be a good man what does it mean to be successful that's not it can't just be reduced to the problem what's his problem situation well he's also talking mm. against these other ideas in the culture that villainize men and talk about like toxic masculinity and say like you know if you're a strong successful famous man who's making lots of money and has is desirable to women and then also like conflating that with misogyny and the patriarchy is is in this broader cultural milieu of what he perceives as essentially like anti-man anti-masculinity anti-success and so forth mm. Mm. sorry about the detour into the philosophy and history of science but <laughs> no that's <laughs> just, i can't fucking help myself With that in mind, how about to, to I still elucidate the contours of the Matrix? Yeah. We can talk about we can talk about the Matrix view of the world of of a few specific. Give a few specific examples of this. For example, how men should behave, how women should behave, and how they should interact in the Matrix. In the Matrix, men should be more feminine, so they should be more or more traditionally feminine. They're meant to be more meek. They're meant to be milder, less competitive. They're meant to be physically unimposing. So doing things like going to the gym makes them more intimidating, both to men who are less toxic and to women. So they they should seek to occupy less space in a way, both physically and mentally. They should be less domineering. They shouldn't expand out into physical space. It's yeah, like they, throw sh- back, they throw back to episode behave. one. <laughs> episode one, Bronze Age mindset. <laughs> Any of the OG listeners of the podcast will hopefully get that reference. <laughs> yeah, and if anyone's coming to it for the first time, don't listen to our early episodes. They're a complete train wreck. Yeah, they're trash. I mean, yeah, we really need wreck. to redo some of those. We're really trying our best to slightly improve every episode and. If we listen mm. to I listen to the Poseidus episode, it's just like this is horrible. <laughs> but yeah, our OGs, our, you know the the true Gs of the show, will will know what we're talking about and we'll appreciate it. So at double speed, <laughs> what different episodes in each year? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we uh, I would summarize that point as 
Mm. One word to use might be the feminization. Another word might be the pussification. The pussification of the Western male. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that phrase so many times and I just, I don't love it any less each time I hear it. (laughs) It's so funny. yeah yeah um so what about and then and then there's women the he you know the flip side yeah, of that is yeah. the role of women he's talking about and you know pierce morgan tries to pin him down on this again he's just, he's like slimes his way out of it to answer the a direct question directly uh within the context of his life what he likes from women for himself is no no, no. we're talking we're talking about what to, the matrix wants you to believe though in the oh, matrix, yeah. sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, what sorry. Women we're not like. onto the re- reality yet. Because yeah. in the matrix, in the matrix what are men and like? women, <laughs> men and women are perfectly equal, but men are morally more reprehensible than women. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a good summary. <laughs> that's, that's roughly it. It's like uh, a woman can do literally anything a man can do. However, men are more morally culpable than women, or just much yeah, more likely do- to do reprehensible things bad things and then we turn a blind yeah. we you know we focus on say um you know the director or the artist who sexually assaults women and we cancel them and we you know hawk them down for a conviction but then we turn a blind eye to the woman who makes up a false allegation no no, no levi levi you're, you're leaving the matrix stop trying to leave the matrix Sorry, we are, <laughs> at the moment we're firmly well, ensconced within the matrix and so we're happily going to stay here in the matrix, in the matrix, the first situation is good, and the sex, second situation is also good. A woman should be able to get justice without having to go through the legal system <laughs> against a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any yeah. So, so, um, so another thing he talks about, which I think is really important in the matrix, money, money is bad, or at least having too much money is bad. Because if you're rich, you money's bad. It doesn't make you happy, and if if you have too much of it, you're morally suspect. You're morally suspect, and in particular, but at the same time, you should work for your money. You should be a, a slave mm. to the system. Sorry, I mean, sorry. You should be a responsible adult, and yeah, uh, yeah. Go get you a job. For a go to college. Work for a wage. Work for work for a good, respectable corporation uh, for forty years. And then mm, mm. when you're 65 and your balls are all gross and dangling down uh, and you can't, like, keep it hard anymore, then you get to go and retire after yeah, giving your life yeah, away exactly. to, I don't know, whatever, telecom or something. Um, yeah, you really should then orient your life towards pursuing prestige. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, what, what a big, uh, you know, top top four accounting firms or top four management consulting firms, something like that. Mm, um, mm. And then there's uh, in the matrix, you can talk about uh, fame. There's some pe- famous yeah. people which are good and you should listen to them. And there's some people who get famous and we got to shut them down. Their opinions are not allowed. <laughs> um, yeah. And fame also there's a strong bias towards viewing people who are famous through existing institutions as good. And yeah. those, those who have Pierce achieved fucking fame Morgan with the BBC. Yeah. Without, without some sort of intermediary organization is bad. Yeah. Like top G <laughs> top G <laughs> didn't come up, didn't get the approval of BBC or whatever. 
And then, I, should uh, also add, I guess, actually, like, I would, with you with you talking about work and money and success, women not only can do any work that they wish to do; it's they should work. Like that's the that's the right thing to do. The right thing to do is not to have a family or to and even being, to be a being loving a, a loving bad. wife. Yeah, it's you should be a loving you should wife. Be working. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm getting into no. Early, that's sorry. that's that's uh, beside in, the, in the point. Matrix, it doesn't matter. You work. Yeah. Yeah. You need to you work. You need to generate money. It's it's almost as or if even, the matrix even like, is in perfect lockstep with capitalism. You've got to be <laughs> earning money. You've got to be relating to other people in a monetizable way. Otherwise, what you do doesn't exist. Monetary uh, enslavement. What would you call that? Wage. Wage capitalism. Uh, being a wage. And then there's wage like, cuck. Being a wage. <laughs> being a wage. You're a salary man. Uh, I'd say, like, in The Matrix, we've already talk, spoken about money and fame, but success in general, you know, like, mm. don't get too big for your britches unless you get really big with an institution that we like. Um, yeah, yeah. Then, then it's an cool. interesting one is, then it's cool, is, is mental illness, in particular depression. Everybody's yeah. got a reason to be depressed and anxiety. Look, I'm a person of color, therefore I should be depressed because you're oppressing me. But then, I don't know, maybe you've got some narrative to be depressed about, Jack, because you're a white dude and now, like, the world's out to get white I'm actually just winning in every conceivable way. <laughs> People who aren't white middle-class males don't know how it feels to just fucking wake up and win every day, to not have any problems. <laughs> To be invincible, to be existing in a state of transcendent bliss. <laughs> yeah. I feel sorry for everyone who has never encountered this state of being. And then so absolutely you, you know, like phenomenal. Everybody's a, everybody's a victim, so everybody has a reason to be depressed. And um, if you're depressed, you really should talk to a therapist and go and get help and uh, maybe get some antidepressants into you, some SSRIs to fix that, pop some pills and you'll be feeling better and you go back to work. Uh, I would say actually his, uh... his Matrix characterization of, of depression is slightly different from that. We might have differing, interp <laughs> differing interpretations of the Andrew Tate gospel. Because the way Please I interpreted me. it, <laughs> we, can, we can have a... <laughs> A respectful we can have a debate. The finer points a of top G philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the way I read it, when he talks about depression, what he takes issue with is this idea that depression is—it's unavoidable. Like anything can be happening in your life, and it will just hit you. And the only way out of it is medication and therapy. And that seems to be specifically what he identifies as a matrix narrative, that, that depression is natural, unavoidable, and can only be medicated away, or in some edge cases, talked away with a therapist who is going to pull you back into the matrix. Well, my slight disagreement would be Andrew Tate's <laughs> characterization of the Matrix's view of depression is that depression exists. <laughs> mm. so, he says it exists just in a different form, <laughs> a different form yeah, that it's yeah. uh, commonly referred to. When we're talking about the world outside of the Matrix, <laughs> reality, we can, yeah, well, we we can, can get to let that people know what it actually means. Power and, and politics. And then the last in interesting thing is his, his view on the Matrix 
power in politics. Mm, mm. So if I could kind of put it into a nutshell, it's just that uh, the elite are trying to control. I think in particular yeah. he's, he's really honing in on, I suppose, quote-unquote liberal, as in the American use of Coastal word, elites. The, the coastal elites, you know, like the progressives, not as in like, you know, like the UK small L liberal, classical liberals, like as in the American mm. progressive liberals. Um, yeah, those West Coast elites from San Francisco and the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, and these globalists trying to, you know, enslave the entire planet and make every put mm. poisonous mm. vaccines in their bodies and that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's... So the, the matrix view of power is that the government cares about you. You have direct control over the government. <laughs> you paying yeah, taxes democracy. funds the government in ba- being able to implement programs that will benefit you for benevolent reasons. That, that and there is no ruling class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because naturally uh, living in a liberal democratic society, such things as a as a ruling class are anachronistic and have no place in our, our society. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? And are you ready to escape the matrix? Reality? I, are you ready? Yeah. You're about to, uh, we've now escaped the matrix. Unplugged. We're standing outside it. It's like, it's like that. I forget Wish. who did it. That fame, that famous image of Gnosticism of that dude in robes, like crawling outside of the dome of everyday experience and looking out into this, this infinite world of spinning wheels and infinite forms. That's what happens when you creep outside of the matrix. It's pure nonsense. That's what Andrew Tate is offering. You've you've been in the cave the whole time and we're about to lead you Mm, out of the cave mm, to mm. show you where the shadows come from. So. Men and women. Men and women are fundamentally different. Men exist to spread out into the world, to conquer, to make money, to be violent to subjugate each other, to find themselves in a hierarchy according to their power and their abilities. Women exist to find the best quality man they can and dedicate themselves to him fully, to have his children, to let him sleep around because they know that while he might have other women, he only loves them and will only have babies with them. They, so... He, he equivocated on this point when he was at least talking to Piers Morgan. And he, Andrew Tate does equivocate on certain things. He says, presumably based on what he wants his interlocutor to think about him, or if not his interlocutor, then the audience watching the particular interview he's, he's taking part in. Actually, having said that, almost certainly he cares more about the audience who will be viewing the interview than the person he's talking to at that one time. So I'm saying this to preface talking about women working. At many points in the book we read, the Tate Bible, he, he basically says women shouldn't work, that, that defeminizes them, it's disfiguring. What women should do is find a man who's willing to provide for them. And he, he puts this on men too. He says men should be earning enough money to just support a woman, to be a single-income household. Women shouldn't work because it's unfeminine and that's, that's not their role. It's not what they're good at. Women are highly emotional, highly emotionally aware, which he describes as a superpower, but still highly emotional, which precludes things like logical thought, which is useful in running cam girl businesses. 
They're better at being beautiful and emotionally aware. Now, in the Piers Morgan interview, his these sorts of comments uh, had attention drawn to them, and Andrew Tate said effectively, it's fine if women want to work, if that's their decision. However, the vast majority of women don't desire this. They're, they're having these false desires beamed into their minds by the Matrix, by education, by popular media. It makes them want to work rather than settle down with a man and have children, which would ultimately make them happy. The, the way they're currently living in the Matrix is making them miserable. And I find it really interesting seeing the times when Andrew Tate will modify or moderate an aspect of his message, presumably based on, as I said, what he wants the viewing audience to think of him. So he is, he must be, to quite an extent, sensitive to what he thinks people want. Basically, you know, the, the sort of person who will watch a Piers Morgan interview, for example, with Andrew Tate is presumably different from someone who will be found in the war room or the, the pimping hose degree. And he does change his message based on that. So for all his talk about simply not caring about what other people think, I expect he is actually quite aware of it and is, is willing to modify aspects of what he says to cater to that. But anyway, that's, the, that's men and women in reality outside of the matrix. There is not equality. There's a, a division of labor between the two. Both are good at different things. And they are not, not merely more effective, but happier when they act in accordance with those roles. And what about guys money, nodding fame, vigorously? success? Yeah. Mm. Uh, money, fame, and success. So uh, basically, you want to be a top G. You want to be top of the pecking, pecking order. Absolutely. So you need to go out there and make as much money as possible, get some Lambos, get some Maseratis, get a big $32 million house fly around the world, private jets, make as much money as possible, uh, be successful, be a top G. I don't really know if there's actually a huge amount more than that <laughs> to be said of fame and success and money. No. So, when he, so he does this quite a lot in contrasting the matrix and reality. Oftentimes he'll put something platitudinous and pretty obviously wrong as, as the matrix view of things. And the, the reality view of things will be something that's not actually that controversial. So in the context of money, the matrix view is basically that there's just no correlation between your resources and how happy you are. And basically everyone is aware that if you're destitute on the street, you're going to be less happy than if you have a house and like a stable income, yeah. stable access to food. Like, that, that sense of stability is very likely to make you happier than if you live a completely precarious existence. And then he'll, he'll go further to say things like, oh, well, money is useful because it gives you options. And you're oftentimes happier if you have options and you're not having to do something that you don't want to do out of brute necessity. Hmm. And I think that's fairly uncontroversial. I don't know many people who would disagree with like having a certain amount with the, the idea of having a certain amount of resources enabling you to do things that you want to do and avoid things that you don't want to do that you might otherwise be forced into doing. It's just what, he, what he'll often do is he'll have these sorts of dichotomies between the matrix and reality, which are uncontroversial, but then use those uncontroversial aspects of his his split worldview to to sort of justify those that are 
less uncontroversial. He'll have things that he can point to and say, look <laughs> yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how reasonable this is. And through that, justify the more unreasonable things. Now, I've noticed that quite a bit with Andrew Tate. That's, that's one of his more common tactics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's some kind of weird. It's like all, the way that he speaks is always in a funnel. Like he's starting off mm, mm. nice wide funnel, get you in, get you, okay, fine, whatever, not very controversial. You maybe put in a bit braggadocio, whatever, not a big deal. And then all of a sudden he's talking about like hitting women with a machete or something <laughs> 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 and pimping hoes and, and stuff. So um, uh, yeah, but the next is one positive. is, a, what is it? A, a, yeah, a positively, positively inspiring, motivating, motivating person. Yeah. <laughs> so another uh another interesting one is in reality what is what is depression. Mm, mm. You want me to answer that or do you want to? I can discuss it. He basically thinks in in most cases I'd say uh that maybe there's extreme situations where somebody has like some disorder uh but essentially that it's it's people identifying with a narrative. And if you just don't identify it, if you just don't think identify with it, you just don't think depression exists and you just accept that life is suffering sometimes and stuff is hard there. And then just go to the gym and train and work and stuff. Like it's not a thing essentially. And mm. I don't know, maybe there was some other stuff where he is a little bit more sophisticated in his, in his point of view, except the short, the short answer is, you don't have depression. Stop being a little bitch. Go and train. <laughs> the way I read it was that depression exists. So the, the, the subjectivity of being depressed exists, but instead of a, not as an illness an an illness that can happen to anyone irrespective of their hmm. situation and which can only be helped through therapy or medication. What depression is, is, it's it's physiological in that it is a signal that something in your life is going wrong, that you're unhappy and you need to change something in your life. And if you sufficiently change things in your life, then the depression goes away. I found actually this was one of the more interesting aspects of Andrew Tate and one of the things that has gotten some of the most pushback, again, for very interesting reasons, because I'm not completely unsympathetic to aspects of the position of depression arises when your life is unpleasant and there are a lot of aspects of your life that are not pleasant. I think like it rarely just appears for absolutely no reason. And I do think a lot of the time it is talked about as this thing. It's almost like catching a cold. Like it just happens to you out of yeah. nowhere and it's unrelated yeah. to the, the circumstances in your life, which I think is just wrong almost all of the time. It's, it's related to what's going on in your life. That's not yeah. to say the experience of it doesn't exist, but it's not like catching a cold. There, there will be some set of circumstances that, that are the case that, that make you slide into depression. Similarly, him saying that if you fix these aspects of your life, you can start to get better. Of course, there are cases where that doesn't happen, but much of the time, actually, it, it is. Like if you do start doing things like improving your sleep schedule, getting time outside, exercising, improving your diet, so not just eating hyper-processed stuff all of the time. If you start spending more time around other people, if you have some sort of goal in your life that you can orient yourself towards, 
those things do really help. And I think there's certainly a role for medication, particularly in getting people out of the initial slump. But the idea that you change nothing in terms of your lifestyle, in the life that was making you depressed, take medication to make the life tolerable but not happy and not change, not change your life and to, to live like that. Like you will continue to be unhappy. Like you, you haven't fixed whatever problem was causing the depression. And so if I'm being very charitable to Andrew Tate, he could be describing that, which I think is real. Also, a large part of the pushback against him, I do think speaks to, it is present with millennials and even more present with people of, of Generation Z, and we'll see what Gen Alpha's like. But certain forms of mental illness are highly fashionable. People will <laughs> take them on as fashion accessories as if they're things that make them interesting, like the fact, oh, I'm anxious and that somehow makes me a more yeah. interesting person or it excuses me not doing as well as I might want to do. And that is actually highly unimpressive. Like if you're feeling depressed <laughs> or anxious, like absolutely, like fix, like I feel bad for you and you should definitely work to feel better. And there are actually concrete steps you can take to get better. But if it's just a thing that you use to try to make people on social media like you, or if your circle of friends trades these things like Pokemon cards, like that, that is unimpressive. <laughs> it's, that's not interesting. That's, it's not unusual. Everyone's fucking depressed or anxious. It's not or fascinating. Has, has You're not a, a tortured every, artist. Everybody has it's, uh adult ADHD now. <laughs> Yeah, because we've all like, fucking burned our all these, systems out on the internet. All, all these, uh, all these, all these lawyers now conveniently have dexamphetamine prescriptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh wow, who would have seen that coming? <laughs> wow, yeah. all so these lawyers Andrew who managed Tate... to get through their law degrees now have ADHD. Sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, Andrew Tate talking about mental illness. I think he does it in a very insensitive way. And in part, I think he's doing it too. Like he knows what's going to get people outraged because for quite a number of mm. people, having some sort of mental illness is now just a personality trait because they're otherwise too boring. And so they need to make being depressed. Like this is, this is my personality now. Like I oh, talk about cultural... my, my dick being limp on SSRIs because I don't have anything more interesting to talk about. Like, it, um, or I've got, uh, look, I might be like... being a bit harsh. It's just, valorizing your mental illness isn't going to make you better. Like yeah. it might seem cool and romantic when you're 19. If you're a 55 year old fuck up who never got on top of their mental illness because you thought it was cool. And now the world's left you behind. It's not cool anymore. You're just a fucking burnout. Like this is something you can do something about. And I do think Andrew Tate, again, if I'm interpreting him generously, taking aim at that phenomenon is like he's actually addressing something real, and I think that's part of what a group, a certain group of his his fan base do respond to. That sense that you're not powerless, that you can actually do things to improve your mood and your life. Yeah, the the cultural normalization of passivity, and then the medicalization mm -hmm. of yep. normal human emotions. Uh, yeah, yep. interesting. I don't probably know enough older people who have exhibited the sorts of things that you speak about 
the older people that I know with psychiatric disorders have legitimate psychiatric disorders. Uh, mm. And I think I it being this, highly like, this, fashionable this is faux, new. Like faux, faux, faux depression. Um, mm. But I, I would, I understand. I've not seen it in older people, but yeah, like people in their teens and twenties, I maybe is more something that I've seen in my experience. Like, you know, that I hang out with those fucking filthy youth anymore now that I'm 30 and old. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in my 20s, especially at uni, yeah, like that was a huge thing. Or yeah, I, it seems like everybody had like some excuse about why they couldn't get in their assignment on time. <laughs> <laughs> that's driving. driving yeah, well, there are, there are a few things going on. One, like at, at its at the most ungenerous, like people use it as an excuse. Yeah. To be more generous, like the the experience of it is real, but yeah, you know, you could say, oh well, maybe it's you know to use the I guess like the the BuzzFeed way of describing depression. Oh, it's everyone has suddenly just developed a chemical imbalance in their brains, which for some reason just wasn't present a few decades ago. It just suddenly happened. Like our neurochemistry just fundamentally shifted for no reason. Or you could say there are aspects of how we live now which make people really, really unhappy. Like younger people are put under increasing pressure so that an aspect of it is probably elite overproduction. So the way previously Mm. to get into the ruling class was through educational institutions to a large extent. Mm we've started increasing the number of people going through those institutions massively. So it's more competitive within them. If we're just using the context of like, like you said, you people you met at uni. So there's greatly increased competition. It's more expensive. So you take on debt and you're aware that that debt is going to be hanging over you. And then like when people get out the other side, they realize, Oh, well we've massively expanded the intake of people who were supposed to go into like ruling class positions, but the number of ruling class positions hasn't expanded. So now you've got this large sort of outer ruling class who aren't earning much money and don't have the prestige that they feel they were promised, who still have aspects of highly controlled, rote and uncreative existence, which they don't find fulfilling, who live in a society which is more socially atomized, where people just interact Mm. with human beings less and spend more and more time online or playing video games or doing some sort of, uh, I think Mumford called them shock absorbers. Uh, Elul called them, I think, human techniques. People people partaking in things which make this life tolerable but not happy. Mm. Mm. That like that does make people unhappy. That does make people depressed. Like that's real. But I guess what maybe Tate is saying is that what you should be doing is trying to change aspects of your life, and that the depression yeah. is a signal that your life is making you unhappy, rather than adding in another human technique of of taking antidepressants to continue in an existence that makes you miserable. <laughs> you just like did. The uh, Jacques L. Lull, uh lens interpretation of Andrew Tate. <laughs> <laughs> nice, well done, well done. We will cover Jacques. No, that was more Lull Unabomber. That was like podcast. a Jacques Ellul by way of the Unabomber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Uh, well, then in that case, wouldn't you call them surrogate activities or something? 
Surrogate activity is part of it. I'm not sure if depression is a surrogate activity, or if depression is a surrogate activity, then the world is even sadder than I thought it was. Depression has a surrogate activity. <laughs> this is one of my yeah, hobbies. <laughs> I love being depressed. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, so uh, one way to put it, which might be more in line with the way that Tate might put it in some of his more... Uh, yeah, I was definitely moments, stretching Tate there. Is... Maybe there's a reason why you're depressed, why you're feeling not why you are depressed, mm. but why you're feeling depressed. Firstly, don't call yourself depressed. Don't identify it with it. With it, instead, maybe there's a reason. Maybe you actually are a loser. Maybe you're out of shape and you don't earn any money, and like your girlfriend's cheating on you. In which case, like go go and fucking do something about. It. Start working out. Get in shape. Get a better job, or like go and start a business. Make shitloads of money and dump your fucking cheating girlfriend, and then you'll stop feeling depressed. <laughs> <laughs> simple, fucking simple, dude. Uh, I don't know if he would put it exactly like that, but that's my approximation of how Andrew Tate might. Yeah, put actually, it you, did, you did you did add something room. very important there. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, importantly was... used the word loser, which I forgot to use. He does use that a yeah. lot. In yeah. in Tate's yeah it's Tate's communications, like there, there is a large amount of belittling the listener or the viewer. Yeah, yeah, it's like listening to rap music where the rap is just. I was going to say the exact same thing. Weird rap that was threatening the listener. Hey, so especially modern rap because it's so creatively bankrupt. Most yeah. of the lyrics are just directly threatening violence upon the listener. Yeah, half of future songs are just like, I fucked your bitch, I fucking stabbed someone for a while. <laughs> <laughs> fucking blah, 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 something, something, codeine. Modern poetry. <laughs> I really like future though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just like being belittled. I, by I listen. I listen to rap. I'm not going to pretend that I take like 95 percent of the lyrics remotely seriously. <laughs> it's, it's the same way that I listen to death metal. Like I like death metal. The lyrics are garbage, <laughs> and actually, similar, similarly, oftentimes just threatening the listener with harm. It's just you can't understand them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Twenty one. <laughs> um. So. Uh, power and politics I, in reality. Yeah, I, so just, I might like, let you. Power and politics in reality is it's, it's basic, and I'll be. Back it's it's in, it, but it's simple. It's just like the the strong do what they can, the weak do what they must. Is basically what Andrew Tate says is is the function of power within the real world. Um, it's not a particularly new thought, like it. I suppose if you're firmly ensconced within within the the liberal democratic mindset, it might seem new to you that that strong people are able to enforce their will or force their will upon weaker people. I suppose we we're in a state you know, to, to borrow Carl Schmitt's terminology, the, the the sovereign at least in the the Western world has established a, a normal state of being wherein things like an apparently independent political um, class and apparently independent judiciary can arise, you know, apparently independent of, of ultimately violence or the ability to, to coerce enemies into doing what is, is wanted of them. And as such, some people who are within that unreflectively within that system could start to think that that system re- reflects reality. So I, I suppose in this sense, Schmidt's normal state as established by the sovereign is, is the matrix and 
just the the brute facts of violent power are a reality. But what he said here isn't anything particularly new, and it's not something I find particularly interesting because I've heard this said in much more subtle, eloquent, and interesting ways elsewhere. I don't really come to Andrew Tate for a a deep meditation on the the relationship between apparent and actual power in human affairs. You're back. Sorry, th- I so, offered, so like I people, a, um, pe- were, were people who are watching YouTube. No, no, I wasn't. So people who are watching YouTube will now learn uh, that uh, the that Jack has far superior bladder control to Levi. So we'll do like a three-hour episode. I just pissed Jack... myself multiple times. <laughs> oh, well, that, ex- that explains that Jack is actually just pissing himself the whole episode. Whereas like, I'll get up like every hour or something and go take a slash. Yeah, so sorry. I'll try to minimize that. I need to work on... I need to start doing Kegels. No, I'm just, on, I'm just on a permacut. I'm constantly smashing Lasix so I can cut water weight. Even while You're I'm recording, me. I'm so optimized. Even while recording, I'm trying to get my skin like cling wrap, 1% <laughs> Even, body fat. Like Ronnie yeah, Coleman, like... negative percent body fat. No water on board. Mainlining pure insulin. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, uh, you, you gave the high level on power and politics, I assume. So yeah, let's let's keep on going. It's sort of what uh, you there's expect. not that much to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so we've now framed the the general contours of Tate's approach to the world. Like I've said a few times, he will modify some of the the specifics of this based on whom he's talking to and based on based on the listening audience or the expected listening audience. But that's that's the general gist of of what he's about, and there there are probably a few things that we haven't mentioned. But like one, once you know a few of Tate's beliefs, you can pretty reliably predict the rest of them. So I guess an interesting part is why why is he or an interesting question is why is he so popular? We've sort of spoken about his fans, mm. but. What is it and his problem situation and the things that he's talking about? But that doesn't necessarily explain why he's so huge. He's like massive. So when he got his, mm. uh, when mm. his, when he, all his uh, profiles got cancelled on the various platforms, they sort of, they did it almost like in, in coordination, it seems, or at least at basically mm. the same time. Maybe they were responding to one another. And uh, he had, across all the platforms, I would imagine at least 10 million, maybe multiple tens of millions of followers. And even on X these days, I think he's got now 8 million subscribers now or something like that, or followers on Twitter. Yeah, it's fucked. Like the guy understands Uh, social media. Oh, yeah. He really understands how the media landscape works at the moment. I think there there are multiple reasons as to why he's so popular Several of which I will I've I've already brought up and I'll like I'll I'll repeat myself somewhat, although things I've already discussed I'll try to keep short. So one, as I said earlier, yeah, he's really he has 8. In, 6 in a positive and negative sense. Twitter. Yeah, that's crazy. And he has to keep changing accounts because he keeps getting banned. Although under new Elon Twitter, Elon X, then he he, he might not get banned as much. But he's He's fun to listen to, even as someone who's who's ambivalent on him. Like, I don't hate him. I don't 
love him. Like I, I, I wouldn't take him seriously as a thinker, but I don't loathe him. But even, even as someone who's ambivalent regarding Andrew Tate, he's fun to listen to. He speaks super well. He can be quite funny in a very crude way. And he just understands how the media landscape works now. So people like either seeing a train wreck or seeing the people they don't <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. getting really angry yeah. or watching someone that makes them really angry. And Tate is good at all three of those things. For, the, yeah. for particularly like men between the ages of uh, 14 and 35 or whatever his key demographic is, a portion of those people who feel like they're being ignored or talked about and not too, given that you know, so, so much of politics is recognition. Tate both recognises them, says things that are, you know, are pointed enough that they can see themselves in it, are vague enough that they can also see themselves in what he says, and that he makes people that that I imagine a portion of young men feel against them. He makes those people really angry and angry in a really comical way. Tate's way of making people who disagree with him angry is to say something that really pisses them off with kind of a wink to make it unclear if he's being serious or not, (laughs) and then to smirk at their reaction. And like, I imagine that's very gratifying to watch. So he's good at that. You could think of it as like People, his core audience is is like these young men, as as Jack was saying. Andrew Tate is almost like a Rorschach image for them on the internet. Mm. <laughs> Just look into it and watch you see, see whatever you want. <laughs> sure, fine, be yeah. about masculine, be all masculine. To- but if you have a little bit of like, if you if you don't really like women, you can also see that if in them if you want or. You know, whatever. Or yeah. you can see him standing or if up you to love power, women, or and you can, can say like, or if you love, I, women, I only yeah. <laughs> want women to be happy, which is why I'm saying that they should adhere to these natural roles that make them happy. <laughs> or if you if you like if you want to see uh, traditional values, roughly speaking, then mm, yeah. Mm. But if you if you want to have a wife and a bunch of side women as well, then you can also look up to Andrew Tate. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Whatever. To me, he's almost like, like the he'll, personification. He'll advocate for oh, sleeping with. Oh, go on, go on, go on. So he's he's almost the personification of what I imagine a sixteen-year-old mm. thinks mm. being uh, a top G is all about. It's about fucking bitches, pimping yeah. hoes, driving fast cars, making shitloads of money, and beating people up. Like, and it's, it's almost like he didn't highly graduate from. From his like his his he stopped developing at age sixteen, uh, but of course that m- might be a bit harsh because counterpoint he, he wasn't brain broken by the Matrix. Yeah, that's what 16. you want to do. You wish you were <laughs> out there making tons of money, driving fast cars, yeah, ignoring yeah, yeah. the law, and having sex with lots of women. So I shouldn't I shouldn't say that about him, but to me it it seems like that's kind of what he's channeling is like this perfect sixteen year old. Mm, mm, Maybe it, like the more recent stuff he's starting to talk about, like looking after his family and being the sort of man who can provide for his women and his children, look after everybody, and look after his mom and his especially I suppose his more recent stuff post conversion to Islam is more talking about. I think a, a slightly more mature version of that is like, okay, once you're the top G, you're pimping mm. hoes and you've got money. Now 
we got to talk about being a top G who looks after his family. <laughs> so yeah, maybe yeah. I was being unfair. <laughs> yeah, he. It's hard to say the extent to which he's evolved through time and the extent to which he just modifies his message based on what he thinks will play best with his present audience. So I, I'm not sure what specifically he believes. Like as of now, as of the 21st of January 2024 when we're recording, but. It's very slippery and oftentimes, oftentimes actually, when, when he's being his most masterful in being all things to all people, or at least trying to, to maximise audience agreement, he'll do things like, I recall in one interview, he was saying that he believes finding one woman and settling down with them, starting a family and supporting them is the best thing you can do but he he's a flawed person which is why he sleeps with so many women and it's i thought that was a a brilliant piece of politics because on the one hand he can appeal to the people who want to have who think that you should have the trad life and just have one woman and a family it's no i'm not joking when i say it's brilliant politics and you saying that he could run for president has has really, really started working its way through my mind. I think he would. And got that brain very well. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He could, he could do really, really well because he's he's so good at saying saying one thing that can appeal to what one would assume to be diametrically opposed or groups that hold very, very different beliefs. If not diametrically opposed, then at least groups with very different beliefs. Those who think that. You should be monogamous and support one woman. Those who think that you should try to sleep around as much as possible because that's, that's really, really manly and based. So that's impressive. And I, I think that political ability goes a lot of the way to explaining his popularity in addition to how entertaining he is and in addition to how good he is at generating attention because much of what generates attention, and it's, it's sort of just revealed preference in people. Like no matter what people claim they like people love seeing a train wreck people love seeing something outrageous something that either outrages you or something that makes people you don't like outraged people love it and tate is so good at that in part because he refuses to apologize like he'll say something absolutely outrageous that is is kind of red meat to his followers who will either unironically agree or will interpret it as tate being ironic or sarcastic or saying something saying something without really meaning it all the way just to irritate people so mm. he's good from that perspective but also the people who just seethe with rage when andrew tate says something but keep seeking him out um yeah <laughs> he, he understands how to get attention in the new media landscape so well so well and then you see you see older media institutions like, for example, news networks who are just being outclassed by Tate massively. So when they'll run a piece on presumably trying to discredit him, so talking about bad things that he's said, I truly think they don't understand that. It's just giving him more oxygen and making him more popular because people who like him will interpret it as, oh, the Matrix is trying to silence Tate. And so yeah. that will both legitimize Tate. It might also expose certain people who didn't know about Tate, but 
are inclined to like him to Andrew Tate. And it also gets him attention in that people who hate him are going to, they're going to more passionately and with more of their attention and time hate Andrew Tate. Uh, he, mm. he just, he gets how to bring in attention and how to monetize yes. it. So because he's, he's constantly upselling whenever, basically every time I've seen him speak, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's just upselling upsell. some piece of shit course, which is going to solve all of your problems. Yeah. He's like, oh, get in the war room, get on my PhD, get on Hustlers University 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. I think he got up to 4.0. <laughs> now he's got something new. And so, so why is he so popular? Like he's, he's an unbelievably good marketer. Uh, and yeah, internet. So he knows. So he's been doing as as I said at the top of the show. He's been doing this for years. So Jack, we've mm. been in this for two years. We haven't been doing it as hard as other people do it because I've been mm. finishing uni and working. You've been focusing on your writing. So this has been something that's been we've been pretty consistent for a year or so now, and been doing it for two years. I would say, I would hope at least that we're improving. Uh, could you imagine doing it much more frequently and then doing it for 10 years? Mm. How much? 10 years. More. Yeah, like five times or potentially maybe maybe more like 12 potentially. He might um, Maybe he started more like 2011 or 2012. And going on other people's shows, the guy has a lot of practice at speaking. I think that's part of the reason why he's yeah. so eloquent. He sticks to – he's very consistent. He sticks to his narrative. He sticks to his points. Uh, but he's also quick. He's witty. He's confident. The guy's got ten years of just like smashing this stuff out, and uh, and I think he's working with a pretty solid base, anyways. In the first in the first place, because when I saw the clip from 2011 when he was on um, the martial arts show, he was already he was young. He's obviously oh, you sent me that. Uh, one. Yeah, he's he was young. You know, not like who he is today. But he was still well spoken back then, so he was starting from a good base, mm, he and still then he's just spoke well, yeah, yeah, and and then now he's um, just honed that skill to uh, an incredible level. So, you know, props to him. But in particular, he also knows how to use the technology itself to whether it was TikTok, yeah, he's really Twitter, good. At that. And then networking with other podcasters and going on their shows, going on Alex Jones, going on talk shows and saying inflammatory things. He's mm. he you would you would argue, I would argue, he's proven by his results that he's one of the best in the world at doing that sort of stuff. He's right up there. Yeah. You know, maybe he's not up there with like the Kardashians, maybe. Like how many people could you say are really above him in terms of their ability to use these media media like that. Um, yeah. There's very few. So, and that's impressive. I'd coming say he's just catching from, up because also the Kardashians yeah, he's ca had a bunch up. of yep. familial wealth and connections and fame yeah, that they were so, born into. Whereas presumably Andrew Tate didn't really, like his dad was a chess grandmaster, but I'm assuming that, you know, the, the chess scene didn't give him too many, uh, like much of a leg up in terms of getting really, really big on social media. Yeah. And what's interesting as well as a martial artist, you know, because UFC has really blown up martial arts. Before that, like boxing was the big martial art in the West. And and it's uh 
you know, from back from the Tyson days, for example, uh, probably gone down in popularity. But UFC has just shot up, and it's like hardcore MMA. But even very few UFC fighters can parlay their uh, fighting career into something big after their career ends. The only one that I can really think of mm. is uh, Conor McGregor, who's done incredibly well after his UFC. Like uh, maybe George St. Pierre might be another one who's been doing some cool stuff post UFC. Um, but they're still like kind of talking to their base, whereas like Conor yeah. McGregor's gone and done all sorts of interesting stuff. Um and Tyson, Tyson has gone and done really interesting stuff and had a really interesting career post-fighting. So, but then what's interesting about Tate is that he was, he was a kickboxer. There's like different flavors of kickboxing, but I, I think that what you'd call his flavor is, is American kickboxing. So you don't have the elbows. I think he's allowed to do knees, so maybe it's a particular variety. Um, but that's not a hugely popular like it's it's big enough that now that there's fighting in Las Vegas and and stuff, um, professional kickboxing. But really, a lot of those kickboxers, if they really want to like have a big career, they they need to go into mixed martial arts and go into the MMA. You go go into the UFC. So he's actually come from not a top tier like limelight sport. He's come from a kind of a much smaller sport, conquered that, done well for himself, but then. He's transcended that and he's no longer defined by the fact that he was mm. a kickboxer. Mm. Whereas sort of Conor McGregor, at least still so far, it's like, yeah, we're buying this whiskey because we were a fan of you as a fighter and we still think of you as a fighter. Yeah. Uh, whereas yeah, like point. Tate has like reshaped himself. He's transformed himself. You know, like all great artists like, <laughs> I don't know, uh, Madonna or, or, uh, or I don't know whoever else like these artists that are able to transform themselves over time he's interestingly enough like to give him credit he has transformed himself the the his fighting career is a historical interesting important part but he's not known as a fighter anymore he's known as this internet personality that has controversial things to say and all this sort of stuff yeah yeah it's interesting you bringing up his his adeptness at using technology as well, because he's also very sensitive to which technologies are currently fashionable and will often offer courses on those. So during COVID, he would offer courses on blockchain. Crypto, he's now yeah. offering courses on how to use generative AI. He's, he's very, very aware of which particular technologies are, are fashionable and can be cheaply taught to to a large number of people, which are, which is scalably teachable. He's uh, he must be a smart guy. He he's a good businessman in that he's consistently able to identify where he can sell stuff and to whom, and oftentimes like, for a high price. And the thing about like these these courses are really is, expensive. These technologies, if they're like generative AI has been worked on for like, if, if you talk to the people who, or if you watch interviews with the people who are running these companies like OpenAI, their CTO or whatever has been working on this for like 15 years or something. 
So it's not exactly new from mm. the point of view of like basic research. A lot of these technologies, even neural networks, the first neural network was like paper was published like decades ago. Yeah, like decades and decades ago. Um, but there's this point at which a technology or a bit of basic research in this field can, there's kind of a tipping point where it becomes uh, usable enough uh, useful enough, accessible enough, and the UI to use it uh, is well designed enough by one or more companies that it tips over into being able to be used by just other business. Like where that building the AI isn't their core business, but using it to generate reports or whatever, create marketing copy and stuff, it tips over. And if you are not that I've done this, obviously, but it seems to me this is my analysis of it. If you, at the very beginning of those trends, like crypto went through this, generative AI is, has been going through this recently, um, like creating online courses itself and creating content has sort of uh, gone through this over the last few years. It tips over. And if you're right at as it starts tipping over and entering the popular imagination, it's still early enough that you can probably get a team together, learn about it really quickly and then package together a course and then sell that course to other people who are interested in learning it quickly. And by the time there's 10 or 100 reasonable quality courses from Udemy to just like privately, like private website or like websites um, that aren't on a platform, they've already invested six months in developing their curriculum and developing how they're going to teach it. Uh, and they're now in the movement of like scaling it out and getting sales. So he's he's good at doing that. He, he can see something's coming up. All right, let's put put together something that's good enough to sell. And then like, like let's just mm. sell the shit out of it. The interesting thing yeah. about selling- and This might be my cynicism. It sorry. almost always seems like a very, very surface level, cheap money grab. Whenever he says like, oh, now we're teaching people about blockchain. Now we're teaching people about dropshipping. Now we're teaching about yeah. generative well, AI. I but didn't want to get There are obviously it. enough people who respond to it to, to pay for it. It's, yeah. So if I then, uh, so before I get into the cynical interpretation of it, uh, I'll, I'll just say one <laughs> about, about the educational pieces that what's interesting about selling educational info products is that, uh, you can tie them to the marketability of the skill. So say learn to program. There's boot camps that are $15,000 US. I mean, you can go into a master's degree in software engineering for like 80,000 Australian or whatever the fuck I paid for it. So like very marketable skill. And uh, like, uh, or you can, you know, sell a $200 course on it or a so, but they're tied to the idea that the person who's buying it is going to go through some income transformation. So if you're a non-skilled person working at, I don't know, McDonald's or something, and you invest six months in this boot camp for $10,000, and at the end of it, you are able to then get a $90,000 a year job as a programmer up from your $50,000 a year job as a McDonald's employee, well, you've just gotten a forty thousand dollar pay jump for only ten thousand dollars. So it's very, it's mm -hmm. it's sort of it's an incredibly 
simple sales pitch because you can just tie, well, it costs this much, but you're going to improve your sales or you're going to improve your income by this much. And uh, I think I'm not like, that's not a cynical thing to say or anything. I think that's fine. I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah. Where the cynical stuff comes in is uh, to what degree... Uh, so I think, okay, why don't I, I share it through this point of view and tell me if I'm rambling too much, Jack, I can obviously let you talk. <laughs> um, I, I have, I confessions, I got suckered by one of these things. So I bought an online course and it was like $3,000. This was back in like 2020. And this is part of the reason why I found out about CoffeeZilla and started following CoffeeZilla because I felt like I got ripped off mm. on this course about how to like do consulting online. And and I bought it and the sales copy and the videos and stuff were all slick and they did all the tactics that you do to like learn about like sales funnels. They did all that sort of click funnel shit. And I bought it. Uh, I was pissed off because it cost me like two or $3,000 but but I did the fucking course, right? <clears throat> and then I was like, this feels like a trash course for $2,000. Now, bear in mind, mm. my degree was like after like the, like all the subsidies and stuff, because in Australia, like our degrees are subsidized. Um, <clears throat> I was still paying like $1,500 a course. So I'm used to spending a lot on my education and uh, $1,500 for a course. So like for a semester, that's like six grand if you do four, four subjects. And, but like for $1,500, maybe it's $3,000 after the, after like before the subsidy for $3,000, get a whole bunch of classes, get tutorials, get a network of peers, get to actually go and do assignments that get marked and get like one-on-one, -on -one, like feedback on everything that I do. And I also get to like go and spend time with other people who are interested in the field and engineers and stuff. This particular thing, it was like the same price essentially as a university course, except all it was was just a bunch of mm. shitty videos. <laughs> and okay, uh, maybe some university courses like as much. I'm the, the reason why I'm pressing this because like I sort of like give university a lot of shit. But in some circumstances, it is actually a lot better than some of the crap that people are putting out online. It's extremely high level. Just like could have just like read blog up blog articles for this fucking three thousand dollar course, and. And mm, I was mm. like, what did I just fucking pay for? <laughs> like, and the issue is I wouldn't call that course necessarily a scam because they kind of, they delivered on what they said they would deliver, but it was clear that the mm. choice that they made in the way that they ran their business or the way they still run their business is they put all the emphasis on getting the sale. So their marketing copy is super slick, their website super slick, like all their sales funnels super slick. And their targeting is very like they're targeting people who, well, in my case at the time, I was like, I was not feeling so great about myself, like feeling pretty desperate to like get better at making money. Um, whereas like I'm fine now. So like, I think I'm less susceptible to, to that sort of stuff. Um, but like they're targeting people who are either in financial duress or are financially desperate and are trying to make some sort of um, improvement in their life. And and then they don't deliver the value. Some people call it, it's not it's not necessarily a scam, but it, it's like mm. it's 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 uh, the person thinks they're going to get something that's up here 
for people who are, who are listening, I'm like putting one hand up high, but then what they actually deliver is down here in quality. And I don't know if it's necessarily like, it's not legally a scam. Like if they got taken to court, they'd be like, well, we delivered the content, like get what you pay for. But it's just almost like you still feel like a sucker after like getting into one of these things. So I sort mm, of like mm. went super off these sorts of courses and super off online education, got into CoffeeZilla. And now, and then I went through a, a period where I was like, everything's a fucking scam. <laughs> um, and I haven't done any Cobra Tates courses, but from the YouTube, from CoffeeZilla covering it, from other people like commenting and like subreddits and stuff, it seems like he's playing this game. He's just like going super hard on the sales mm, mm. and marketing. Just like, can I sell this course for a thousand dollars or whatever? I don't give a shit. And I will just like tick the boxes to make sure that like they can't actually sue me, but I'm going to deliver the bare minimum to like make it mm -hmm. so I'm not mm -hmm. suable. <laughs> And then scale that yeah, out. Like yeah. if I can get a hundred million people seeing this and a few thousand of them buy my thousand dollar course and I'm going to make a shitload of money. So I don't give a shit. That yeah. might be a misrepresentation, yeah. but like that's what maybe I don't understand, but that's what I'm picking up at least. Yeah. I'd say that's probably a lot of what he's selling. What were we even talking about? Oh, why is so popular? Oh yeah, well, yeah, um, I think I well, that's where we started. But it. like, yeah, whatever, yeah. Like, so yeah, basically, he's, <laughs> he's so popular because he wants to be known by as many people as possible, so he can sell them shit, essentially. And he has yep. the skills yep. and <laughs> he has the money because he's what he's selling is scalable information, essentially for the most part, other than his merch. Mm, mm. He can now afford to like invest a shitload of money in buying a sick house, for example, and then filming all this stuff in his sick house so he can put on this image of like being a top G. And it's it's all it's yeah. it's essentially all just like it's this weird self-fulfilling prophecy which some people can pull off. Which is you talk about being rich and famous, mm -hmm. sell yep. a course about being rich, and then you get more money to be more rich. <laughs> And it's the but, hyperstition of the manosphere. But there might be people who would disagree with my characterization of what he's done and have gone to and attended his classes or whatever and feel like it really made a difference and they got their money's worth. So maybe, you know, I haven't done any of his courses, so maybe I'm misrepresenting what he said or like what, what the quality of yeah. his information and educational content. You want to talk about the things that we think he gets right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, I think part two of his popularity is because a bunch of the things he does say are right. Like they're, mm. they're not things mm. that I'd really mm. disagree with, particularly the self-improvement stuff for young men when he says, in so many words, in often a more vulgar, confrontational way, get fit and healthy, eat well, have friends, have some sort of goal that you're working towards, become of independent means. When he's talking about that sort of stuff, and also just telling people that they're not helpless, that they can exercise some sort of control over what happens to them. Maybe it's not perfect, but they're not completely powerless. That stuff I think is pretty positive. I think that's good for people to hear. Yeah, that's all fine. Yeah, like that's, that's fine. Um, in, encouraging people to start their own businesses too. I, I, I like that. 
Yeah, that's fine. Like if, Even if, if people it's a side hustle or whatever, give it yeah, a go. Yeah, a, a risk tolerant enough if they're brave enough to start their own company or their own business, such that they can control their time and have money, then that's that's cool. I'm I'm for people encouraging others to do that. What about you? Is there, are there other things that you think he gets right? And you know, it's 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 positive. I guess I he's probably have things into the world. Consumed enough of his content to really have a sense of like I've watched several of his interviews where he's. I, I watched the George Janko interview as well, where it's not he's not being critically analysed. He's just, mm. just George Janko sucking yeah. him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Andrew Tate sucks uh, Andrew Tate off. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, like, on paper, if you said Andrew Tate talks about things like what he calls masculine excellence, and masculine excellence includes things like having confidence, going to the gym and becoming strong and fit, training your body and also having something to train your mind, like starting a business and going out and going and making lots Mm, of money mm. and not being ashamed of making lots of money and doing uh like stereotypically or traditionally masculine things like wanting to buy a nice car and live in a nice house like those things are all good maybe if you just read that on paper you'd be like yeah that's fine that's cool and then yeah i don't necessarily think i'd have anything particularly wrong with that i guess maybe there's other people who would also then there's recently he's been talking about like traditional family values whatever that means for him Mm -hmm. but i assume he's meaning roughly speaking like a two-parent household where the man is the primary breadwinner and the woman uh, is able to financially depend on the man and therefore not work and be able to uh, basically attend to the house and home and the family and support the husband. I assume that's what he's kind of saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also in particular, like the father takes on, um, like is the head of the house and takes on a more disciplinary form of love and care for the children. Um, so there's that aspect. And then there is another aspect, which it's not, it's not to my liking because I'm not religious, um, but, but recently is also talking about like uh, to him, what matters with regards to like, uh, like religion in particular Islam, but I think he's also, cool with christianity uh like his brother's a christian so they've sort of like found god or whatever and uh and so they are also talking about like as i said not for me but for people who are muslim or even uh christian and can sort of see the commonalities when they're talking with muslims yeah like maybe they think that's good as well i'm ambivalent on that that's not something that i really care about uh so yeah those are all fine yeah, the thing is, it's even so. Even in the yeah, that that sanitized version of what you were saying you, when you were doing yeah, highly sanitized, sanitized <laughs> or whatever he calls it. Yeah, the the sanitized version. The issue is like he will have oftentimes when he's speaking, there it'll be like over half the things he says I'll agree with. Like th- this is putting aside how it's expressed. Like it's expressed in a very very obnoxious way. Kind of in the way that a 14-year-old boy would think like a really powerful mafia boss or something like that would would express themselves. Highly vulgar, a lot of braggadocio, a lot of threats or or belittlement of the 
the person listening or reading or watching. But fine, you can put his communication style aside. Yeah, the thing is, he will he will also append to it things like women are just intellectually incapable of having logical conversations. Like their their worth is in looking good and and like and your ability to have sex with them. And beyond that, they're they're not really worthwhile. In fact, given the way that male attention, he talks about how male attention has been devalued because of the internet. In fact, because of that, women have become more and more unpleasant because they're no longer having to compete for male attention. They get showered with it, which which destroys all of their feminine qualities and all of their worth. So, in fact, you have a lot of just completely worthless women floating around who are, and this really seems to bother him, they're not combat-ready. Your, your male friends are all combat-ready. Women are not combat-ready. So he'll, he'll drop in things like that as well. And it's not that these things are very hard to separate. Actually, the the what I would regard as like healthy aspects of what he's trying to teach, particularly young men, of okay, learn to be responsible for both yourself and for the people around you, and that involves you looking after your health. That involves you looking after your finances. That involves you having a goal, etc. The thing is, it's when he speaks, it's so hard to separate that from. Do it so you can have a subservient wife whom you can cheat on with impunity because she needs you. And she, in quite an Evolian way, she expresses her love for you by Deep dedicating devotion. herself to you no matter what you do. Yeah. Uh, so there, there, there are a number of things like that, that that make it hard for me to recommend Andrew Tate, for example. You know, as entertaining as he is and as much as he will actually draw attention to things that are healthy it's just, it's so hard to separate the good from the bad that it it's very hard to recommend him or at least i find it hard to recommend him as a 31 year old man who's been married for almost 10 years so i i imagine i qualify as a loser uh so well, i guess that's a good segue into our next question which is what he gets wrong or we in in our assessment, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy would do whatever the fuck he wants. Like, far be it from us to tell him what he gets wrong. But from I oh, guess our directly uh, addressed to him. Yeah, yeah. We can we can Andrew give some constructive listening. criticism. I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> and I think Piers Morgan put it pretty simply. Like all the stuff about like uh, positive masculinity, or as Andrew says. Uh, promoting male excellence and promoting the strong male youth across the world, inspiring them and motivating them. All that's fine. That's great. Cool. Do that. It's just that, and Pierce Morgan said this, there's so much misogyny as well. There's just like, it's just, it's just rank with, like yeah. you can't barely <laughs> go two minutes without like just saying, there's this one video I watched. It's uh there's a video on YouTube. It's, it's something like one hour of Andrew Tate's telling stories. And he's telling a story about how his car got stolen and the cops that showed up, he says two women showed up. And I should have known as soon as I saw two women get out that it was like everything was fucked, basically. And he's, he calls them bimbos and he says like, you know, like why did they – finally a man answered the phone from the police and I knew finally at last like I can talk to a man because as we all know, women are incompetent. Like he literally just says it's like women are incompetent. They shouldn't have sent women. Why? And it's like – then he gets on Piers Morgan and he says, no, I'm not a misogynist. It's like 
there's just hours and hours and hours and so many tweets of you just being rank straight up not just like black and white you don't need any more context than consuming the video or consuming the tweet thread to just see black and white you clearly just think very little of women and especially when you during his pimping hose phase on online and stuff it's like man how how do you think for a second do you think people are just like fucking dumb or something like it's it's not like there's it's that hard to read into these things what you think you're being you're being pretty straight up mm. but then when he gets on a show like Piers Morgan what i said to jack in our discord thread with one another talking about this i feel as though he's always he's always trying to do frame control what the pickup artist called frame control they're trying yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. control the frame through which the interaction is happening, even with Piers Morgan. Now, Piers Morgan is like a master of his craft. He's been doing it for like decades and he's dealt with a lot of fiery guests. So it wasn't Piers Morgan's first rodeo. I think he handled the interview well, but he was constantly trying to seeing, frame control. Seeing him completely lose control of Alex Jones was pretty funny though. Yeah, right. He's always trying to control the frame of the interview control the interpretation and in particular like so what i said to jack is i I feel as though this guy has become very good at like doing all this stuff now all this stuff's coming out the allegations all the his history of phd and pimping hoes and all that stuff with streaming girls and stuff and all the way that he spoke about women and controlling them and making sure that they're devoted to him and all this sort of stuff he's now trying to frame control the entire internet he wants to control. No, that is not the way to interpret my past behavior and what I used to say. We now have to interpret it through this lens, the way that I'm saying it now. I, I was being sarcastic, but I meant it. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I wasn't being misogynistic. You're leaving out the context. Actually, this was the context that makes it so that what I when I said these two bimbo cops shouldn't have been sent because they're women, and as we know, all women are incompetent, well, actually, that was taken out of context, and you should interpret the way that I'm telling you to interpret it, which would somehow explain away the misogyny. So there's there's just so much of that that it's 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 hard it's hard not to just be like, dude, you're a misogynist. Like it's 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 very black and white. Good male excellence, good misogyny bad <laughs> it's, it's mm. like what the fuck i guess also <laughs> sorry big rant big rant sorry given given his his tendency to confabulate it's also hard to know that how how seriously you should take anything that he says so for example even just yeah. within the that particular piers morgan interview we watched mm. He and sev- like at, at the beginning of it, he said that the Romanian authorities had seized all of his assets, which was I don't know, like seventeen million pounds or something like that. But then, at near the end of the interview, he claimed to have hundreds of millions of pounds. And when it was pointed out there was this massive discrepancy, he just he then just like started smirking and trying to. It feels like oftentimes when he gets really cornered, he will flick into the. That that smirking nihilistic, uh, you know, I I'm so ironic. I understand the absurdity of this situation, even if you don't posture. Which a lot of I'm not saying he's stupid because I I really 
don't think he is. And I, I, think, I think it's hard exactly to get what he's doing. this consistently, like, yeah, to be this consistently good at marketing and being stupid. But at least on the internet, I see many really, really dumb people fall into this of when it becomes evident that they don't really have anything meaningful to say and they get cornered, they will fall into the, oh, well, I'm just so supremely ironic. I'm laughing at all of this because I'm intellectually so far above it. And he'll often do that when he's cornered with like fairly concrete evidence that he's just saying whatever he thinks is going to play best with the audience at a given moment. And he does this with, other, with all sorts of things. So like when you brought up the example of his view of women, which I imagine is quite negative. And when he's among people of like mind, yeah, when it comes to women, he tends to be fairly open about saying like, oh, yeah, I'm a misogynist. I am sexist because yeah. I understand the real world and the real yeah. relationship between men and women. But when he's confronted by someone like Piers Morgan, who holds much more progressive views of men and women, he, he moderates himself. And he obvi- he's obviously sensitive to what Piers Morgan thinks and on some level wants to please him because he is moderating what he says and he is changing his message yeah. to be something that is more in line with with progressive mores with respect to how men and women should be viewed and should behave with respect to one another yeah i suppose he did However, that on the George and, and that's fine from well. a, from a marketing perspective huh. from a marketing yeah, like perspective and a political perspective that's fine stuff. like that works the issue is when it comes to it, it makes it difficult to know what you should believe when he talks because having watched not much Andrew Tate, like a few hours of it and yeah. of, of his interviews and then reading this book, which is a compendium of, of things he said. But he's already so stuff. Everything, everything he says now I view through the lens of, well, is he saying it because it is currently convenient with respect to his marketing efforts or does he actually believe this? Yeah. And that, like, that makes it very hard to view anyone as anything more than light entertainment, which is ultimately how I view Andrew Tate. Like he's, he is an entertainer and not one that I take particularly seriously in terms of what he thinks. Mm. And given how changeable his beliefs are based on convenience, I don't really see him being able to rise above that at least. And you know, this is something that everyone seeks, at least in my eyes, it's, he he has a hard time meeting with my intellectual approval, which is, of course, <laughs> of course a highly sought the, after prize. And really, the only standard by which we—that is what he's been driving at all these years—to meet approval. with the the approval of an Australian podcast host of an obscure podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's probably sure. actually my most fundamental problem with Andrew Tate is, is that he doesn't agree. I, with I just you. can't take him seriously because I don't know when he's going to just change his beliefs. Yeah. Granted, certain things are yeah. constant. So his 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 appreciation of a certain form of masculinity, his appreciation of a subservient femininity, and his his appreciation of, I guess, his own freedom have been quite consistent. Yeah. I think what's interesting about, about Andrew Tate from well, one of the, one of the several things that are interesting about him is to me there's a class of people or a, a, a type of person or whatever however you want to say who whose goal is fame 
So I contrast that with mm. like what we're doing. So with what we're doing, it will be important to build the audience and to have at least a large enough audience that we can sell your books and stuff and make a living off it. Make some cash. Make some cash and be independent. We've got a way to go to make that happen, uh, which is fine. But to me, that's more like a certain level of knownness, I wouldn't necessarily say fame, is a necessary component of making this into a financially stable um, venture project. And it's a necessary of it's necessary for anybody who wants to build some sort of business online that's based around mm, mm. Uh, their thoughts and ideas, podcasters, bloggers, and so forth. Uh, but you can imagine having a million per- people following your podcast. And I don't necessarily think I would consider that person famous if it's a very particular niche. Like, for example, there's this thing called a Lenny Show by this product manager whose first name is Lenny and he's a very good product manager and he has all the product management like gurus on his show and it's very good but this guy Lenny isn't famous like if he's just walking down the street people aren't going to know who he is it's only like if he goes to a conference about product management or about software where people would recognize and be like oh great like I love your show and stuff so for that particular audience in that particular context community he's well known and but then there's people who or then then there's like careers where being as famous as possible is beneficial, like being an actor. But you're fundamentally mm-hmm. as an actor, you're still it's still a market based, notwithstanding all the conversations about nepotism in Hollywood, it's still you're still being paid because in the competitive market of actors, you're one of the best actors say like Leonardo DiCaprio, hyper famous, but he's also an incredible actor. And then there's a type of person or a type of career where being famous is not a means to an end or having some level of knownness Mm, is mm. not a means to an end, but it's an end in and of itself. And to some degree, it doesn't even necessarily matter how you become famous. You just got to get famous. And I would put potentially at least the early form of the Kardashians in that sort of film. But anybody basically in my mind who goes on a show like Big Brother has basically just waved a flag and said, and some people who go on Big Brother are just completely talentless, like they have nothing to offer the world, but for some reason they think they should be known by millions of people. And they go on and they cause a bunch of drama and they know that if they get enough of a stir and maybe a following on Instagram, they can parlay that into making money when they get off the show. Andrew Tate is like the one of the top people in the world at that type of at that type of career. Yeah. Yeah. And his goal was just to become as famous as possible. And he's achieved that. He's become one of the most famous people in the world. And I think he'll just say anything in the given context to keep on pushing that so that he can leverage that fame to make more money. And I think it's a very interesting case study in like, maybe he's happy, maybe he's not, whatever, his life, whatever. But to me, it it almost highlights again that I, I find that just wanting to be famous just because you want people to know who you are can lead into very dangerous territories. I'm not sure that I would ever want to swap places with somebody like Andrew Tate. It looks like not mm, mm. it's not the sort of life that I would want to live. Even though on paper you can say, well, he's got millions of dollars, 
people like young men adore him. Heaps of women want to sleep with him. To me, the way in which he acquired that, the, the the person that he had to become in order to end up where he is compared to somebody else like, say, Cristiano Ronaldo, everybody wants to sleep with him. He's a billionaire, so forth. He did that through what I consider a really reason, like a really good way of he became talented Being at something. Being good at soccer and really yeah. fucking handsome. And really like, whereas what Andrew Tate did is he became good at being famous and getting notoriety. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a way to say it more remarkably crass. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, yeah. that's not something that I particularly respect. Like, I can't think of anybody in that class of people. No, I, would say, I, I definitely would, respect his his marketing genius. His ability. I respect And I think his, like, it's, it's that's truly a, genius. A, his ability. Yep. His marketing yeah. ability. Yeah. But I guess it's it, sure. the, the guiding principle. Like, what is it in service of? It's in service of something that I consider very, very crass and don't particularly respect. But I suppose he would say he's wealthier and more famous than I am, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I guess that's one one way to measure somebody's life. Whatever. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so in summary, I would say that that's like... Yeah, that's not it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And I like I'm just not really Andrew Tate's no. target audience. No, no, no. In part I'm, because I'm Terry I'm, Davis's I'm target quite audience. Quite happy with my position in life. Like I'm I'm particularly my guess that's an is interesting most point, actually. people. Yeah. Sorry, go on getting into Andrew Tate are probably romantically unhappy. My That's my guess, just based on what he talks about most. Because like, in talk about women a lot and the relationship between men and women, in part, I'm sure that is, like, that is just a, a genuine preoccupation of his. That, that, that's not cynical. But at the same time, such is his sensitivity to what people want and his ability to pick topics that are going to get people interested in him i'm sure he does play it up because he knows a lot of his listeners or viewers want that and so therefore my guess is a lot of people get into him because they are romantically unsatisfied and that's a part of my life that i'm very happy with and i expect that that's part of the reason why a lot of andrew tate just doesn't really speak to me because he's talking to people who are not me like this is not made for me well, it's not just romantic satisfaction. Sorry, I'm eating beef jerky. It gives me fuel to keep on making the show. <laughs> Levi's just slamming lean gains straight into his body as we speak. Yeah, there's zero grams of fat and one million grams of pure protein and testosterone. Like they actually inject it with testosterone. Mm-hmm. It's fa- yeah. fantastic. A lot of decker in there. Straight from South Africa. It's not beef jerky. It's whatever the South Africans... It's called something else in South Africa. It's like similar. Biltong. Yeah, Biltong. Yeah, something like that. Um, anyways, um, it's not... So you, you honed in on an important point. It's satisfaction. So there's two types of satisfaction, in particular with men. Young men who are desperate for what? Sex slash women and social validation. So like that sort of stuff. And two, money. So he's constantly mm. talking down at once Virgin and Bitcoin. <laughs> he's 
he's always talking down at people who are working a normal job. And yeah, there's a lot of satisfaction out there. People don't like their jobs and stuff, understandable. But he's he's like putting people down for just like having a regular job and saying, that's the matrix and stuff. Mm, and then mm. if you're not fucking five different women every week, even if you've got a partner, then you're a loser, basically. Mm. Um, who are all aware of each other and who are all happy with the situation because they love you so much. They're so devoted to you. So maybe, anyways, mm. that's some of the things, I guess, what we feel he gets wrong or that we it's not to our liking. I mean, you got to make up your own mind on this stuff, right? His fans clearly fucking love what he does, so more power to him. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the Manosphere? And in particular, like Tate's, yeah, Tate's sure. place in the Manosphere because <laughs> the Manosphere is a weird, a weird part of the internet. So, I mean, I have to preface this again with actually for for a fairly similar reason as to why I think Andrew Tate's stuff doesn't really appeal to me. I never got into the Manosphere because, like, I just I feel like my romantic life has been something I've been fine with for for quite a while. Like, I just never really got into the Manosphere. And that that does seem to be the main way that people get into it because they have a bad breakup or they like can't find a woman that they're interested in or something like that. It's in fact my contact with the Manosphere has been almost only through the lens of this podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, so my not like, a good my, my view of it is is going to be pretty narrow, like pretty probably unrepresentative. Okay, okay, give us and give us your view. Not, like, what is your understanding? Not that charitable of the as a result of that. Yeah, what is your what is your who are some of the key people in the manosphere and what's your overall understanding of like what is it and what's the different sections of it? Oh, I don't even know key people. I know it's like it's a, a loose constellation of various groups who are all interested in masculinity in some way, but the emphasis will be different. Like MGTOW, like men go their own way, are people who just force wear women and say women are harpies, they can't help with anything. So we're just gonna live a life without women. You get like pickup artists who are the opposite. They're obsessed with women and want to almost like scientifically work out ways to reprogram a woman's mind to make them go and have sex with you after knowing you for 20 minutes. You have red pill people whose interest in masculinity is that in some some ways similar to Andrew Tate's in that they say, you know, they have their equivalent of the matrix, which is the blue-pilled world, this world where you're taught that women are right about everything, that men and women are equal, but women are more equal than men, and men are, men are terrible, women are really, really good. And they've, they've seen this, they've taken the red pill, and as such, they try to have sex with a very large number of women, which is sort of what it boils down to. It's a, an elaborate mythology <laughs> to promote having sex with a lot of people. <laughs> then there's the atomic kind black of pill. uninspiring. Atomic black is the atomic black pill yeah, the, a part of a part of the <laughs> atomic black pill, which is if you are born genetically inferior, then everything's fucked forever, and you should just sit in your room playing like gacha games or or Japanese hentai games. Oh. Yeah, that that sort of thing. Oh, oh man, there's the goon cave part of the <laughs> manosphere. Like, that's my understanding of the manosphere. <laughs> I don't, I don't know enough to be able to like name specific people okay, and say, okay, 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 yeah, okay, this particular guy is associated with this branch of it. But I'll, that's uh, my understanding. It's a loose collection of different schools of thought which all centre around some sense of 
wounded or repressed masculinity in the modern Western world. Okay, so you obviously like, is, is have a have reasonably a, accurate. No, 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 no. I think I think you're zoning in on, and that might just be because you're only engaging with it through this podcast. I'll broaden up mm-hmm. the the idea of like what the manosphere is. So the manosphere includes essentially any online communities and or content creators who are talking about issues to do with masculinity masculinity and men, the role of men in society, and are either speaking about them or, as you said before, speaking to them. So Mm. that also includes certain aspects of what John Peterson does. So he puts out a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. but a big chunk of what he puts out is specifically for young people, but you could argue potentially like specifically for men. In fact, he has a thing on the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's network, That's uh, it's like a seven-episode series of him just yelling, not yelling, sorry, like speaking passionately directly to the camera, talking to you, you, and it's 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 called slaying. Slay. It's called slaying the dragon or something like, or like of dragons and men or something. And he's talking at the camera. Mm, Each, I watched. I, I watched the first episode of it because I was like, oh, I'll, I'll watch it, see what it's like. And it's just him for thirty minutes, just staring directly in the camera and telling you about how to improve your life. Deeply <laughs> upsetting. And, he, and he's, he's, he's doing all the things <laughs> that he's known for. Like Jordan. And it's like this Jordan big regal chair. And he's wearing an NPC conversation simulator. Yeah. Stop paying an NPC. I watched the first episode of that. I'm like, oh, man, I can't deal with this for like another three hours. That Fuck sounds that. way too high stimulus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i gave it a try just see what it's like because i i like a lot of what jordan peterson puts out um or at least fine maybe i used to less uh, not as much anymore it's not sort of my flavor of things anymore but so i went through a bit of a period um but even things like potentially this thing called the modern wisdom podcast this guy i can't remember his name uh talks to a whole bunch of people. Are they people who get really into stoicism yeah, and stoicism. start trying to use stoicism to yeah. solve men's problems? Like, yeah. is that a manosphere That's thing? a manosphere trope. Okay. Yeah, talking okay. about stoicism. Okay. Okay. So the Modern Wisdom podcast, this guy, Chris Williams, I think is his name, he'll talk to some researcher who's talking about the plague of uh, depression amongst young men. And he'll talk about... Uh, are we? Why are these young men not engaging in sex? Why are they dropping out of the workforce? Why are their educational rates lower? So talking about just like men's issues, um, and yeah, okay. There's also like female influencers who uh, and content creators who talk about this stuff. Uh, so it's not just men talking about it. Uh, mm, and okay, there's this, different... this is a way healthier sounding ecosystem than I was aware of. Yeah, yeah, and you know there are important issues to talk about. With regards to men's issues, like a really interesting one is what Tate brings up. He brings this up about, you know, women being able to destroy a man's life by just making an allegation. You don't even necessarily have to, mm, mm. like, take it to court. You you know, that guy who's uh, running <clears throat> uh, the blueprint, Brian Johnson, he recently released a video where his ex-partner, mm. his ex fiance threatened him with a lawsuit and said, I want you to settle and wanted like $9 million and he refused to settle. And she, she threatened him in the case that if he didn't settle, then she would go public with the allegation. And he sued her back, countersued, 
got the damages, won the case, uh, and made her. I th- think like he he got an apology off. Uh, maybe not that, but part of the YouTube video that he made was him explaining, "Hey, this is somebody who basically tried to use the fact that she could not even have a case, mm. a, a true allegation, but just the fact that." she's bringing it up in court and taking that to she tried to leverage that to like break him financially get money mm, out of him mm. and ruin his reputation that sort of stuff happens to men and it's asymmetric it doesn't happen to women as damage is awarded did he get some of her life essence and he did yeah, like, to, took her adrenochrome or something <laughs> he gets to consume part of her soul so he can live longer he extracted <laughs> extracted her plasma and started patting it on collagen. his face <laughs> It's like it's while like, he was while he was on YouTube. It's like um, it's like the, the he's just he's eating her hydrolyzed <laughs> collagen peptides and Benjamin buttoning before the camera. No, it's it's more like the Death Eaters. Brian Johnson. His clothes start getting looser and looser as he turns into a four-year-old boy on camera. I think it's more like Ben. It's sorry, it's more like the Death Eaters out of Harry Potter. He's like, Brian Johnson is actually just floating around, gaunt as fuck, like beautiful, fresh as a dementor, and just like sucking, <laughs> sucking the youth out of people. <laughs> No, no. So anyway. one one day he's going to turn into a zygote, and it's going to split into a sperm and an egg, and he, and he will have won. He will have transcended the human form. He will de-age to the point where he he splits into his parents, who both carry his consciousness. And they will eventually split into his grandparents. Brian reversing. Johnson will repopulate the earth with his ancestry by going backwards <laughs> through time. They will eventually become, they'll become monkeys. They'll go all the way back to the first life form. He will de-age into just this soup of organic molecules <laughs> that were present billions of years ago on earth, all, all from consuming part of the soul of his wife as part of the damages awarded in court, <laughs> she will set off a chain reaction which will replace all life in the universe with this man. I hope she's happy. <laughs> I hope she's happy to have replaced all life on Earth with her ex-husband, that harpy. She, she, How could she have done this to us? She brought, brought about the This is the why we world. need Andrew Tate. <laughs> Only Andrew Tate can save us from the Brian Johnsonification of the world. <laughs> anyway, what were you what were you saying before I said it wouldn't like, be a, it cool. wouldn't be a good episode of the Book Club from Hell if we didn't have some like obscene eschatology in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, it's just obligatory. So. Yes, all of the, like I'm sure there's several theories about how the the world is going to end. We've we've come up with this podcast every now and then. I like that we've one. Come up with we've come up with the ice the ICP magnet scenario. Oh yeah, we Brian did that last Johnson episode, didn't we? Universe. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, the manosphere. So, anyways, you're talking talking about the positive aspects of the manosphere. Yeah, or I guess it's not necessarily. There are negative aspects as well. In, which in the, how in the public. Yeah. Mm. So it's a big, yeah. it's obviously, I mean, there's billions of men online talking about these things. So clearly it's going to have negative parts and positive parts. Mm. And Tate, Tate is, a, is, is one of the larger figures who might be put into the manosphere as a, as a prominent personality. Yeah. 
I think that the manosphere. Yeah, I suppose in insofar as he's talking about men and to men, yeah. and specifically male issues, I yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think that he is. I my intuition. Maybe I'm just biased. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. My intuition is that he's having a net negative effect, but uh, he he could obviously just mm. argue. Well, look at my numbers and look at how much money I'm making. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's not as I said I before. Say, it's not, so it's he's not found need in that. Yeah, there is. There's something about how. You know, something about the Western world need. which yeah. has left a, you know, if not a majority, then a significant minority yeah. of young men dissatisfied in some way. Yeah. And that 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 it's not being satisfied with by more conventional people talking about masculinity. Yeah. So the talk about toxic masculinity and the need to make men less traditionally masculine, for example, yeah. is is not serving the the desires of a a large minority of young men. So, like he he's found problems that are not being served. Yeah. The thing is, I think his some of his solutions to those things, I think, as I've said previously, are good. Like encouraging people to take on more responsibility, to take responsibility for their mental and mm. physical health. Yeah, things like that. That's fine, but. He blends it together with things that I think are pretty unhelpful. Like I think if you go through life with a very, very oppositional posture towards half of the species, towards the, the female half of the species, then like you're you're going to be bitter and resentful. It's like you're you're going to have to deal with women at some point in your life in a capacity that doesn't involve sleeping with them or trying to sleep with them or belittling them online. Uh, like you're going to need to work out how to deal with women. And the Andrew Tate way of, of dealing with women as a man is one that I can only see breeding deep resentment because long, long term, like it's not going to work out for you. Like people can tell when you are, when someone is immediately like from the get go against them for some particular reason, you know, whether it's their, gender, it's their race, it's you know, their class background, something like that. People can pick up very, very quickly if you don't like them on the basis of something like that. And like, women aren't going to be nice to deal with if most of them can immediately tell that you harbour some sort of resentment against them. To which he might say, so actually, it, he loves women. Like the, He's not resentful of them. That's fine, but I just... So, okay, so I think you can be resentful of a group of people and love some of them as well at the same time. I think, you know, the human mind is complex enough to have both of those things going at once. Like maybe it is the case that he does love women on the whole, but resents what they are at the moment. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a way to unite these two things. However, still in your moment to moment life, given that most women in the West are living in such a way that Andrew Tate probably resents someone following Tateism is still going to be largely resentful of the women that he encounters in everyday life. Like it's still going to be a net negative in your life if you live in this way. And so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think on the overall, he is 
he's negatively contributing to the world. Yeah. I mean, it would be great if somehow, maybe this is like an interesting point, if you want to say anything with regards to this. I think that, so I was trying to frame this, what's positive. Okay, so he's very strong, not physically, I'm not referring to physical strength, Mm -hmm. in terms of he's able to hold his own under pressure in a discussion with other people yeah, and talk very well and represent his point of view. But I think there's this, if you thought, think like the strong, the strong man, like, you know, the political strong man, um, <clears throat> he, uh, the issue with optimizing for that one trait, won't apologize for anything like, like barely just maybe sometimes acknowledge that the other person that he's talking to has made a good point. And to me, that mm. seems very fragile. So it, it seems as though to me, the world benefits from learning and updating and getting better at stuff. And in particular, what I was thinking in my head is error correction. So a classic example of like political leaders who didn't error correct when they found out new information and like improved their strategy, changed their plan was uh, uh, like, well, this is just taken from a book that I was reading about this stuff it was uh, Tony Blair and George W. Bush with regards to some of the decisions they made about like this, the stuff in Afghanistan and Iraq. <clears throat> they didn't, when they found out new information about the situation, they didn't actually change their, their strategy, political and militarily. We can say that in hindsight because all this stuff's been like analyzed now. Maybe at the time it would be harder to make that assessment. And that caused a lot of issues. And eventually, like, you know, I don't know, like, probably historically might not history might not look terribly kindly back on those on those situations and the issue was there that they weren't willing to like error correct and admit when they had made a mistake based on the information they had at the time and Andrew Tate and other people like him and I'd include people like Trump I can respect that they're dogged and uh, they've put themselves in a position where they have to constantly advocate for their point of view and they have to go hard and that sort of stuff. But then I just think like, man, some of the stuff mm. like with Trump, it's like, yeah, you've got this ability, this charisma, this personality that can be a leader. But then if you're not actually genuinely taking into account what other people in the world are saying about like, hey, you're making some mistakes here. Hey, like, do you really think it's healthy for the world's most powerful country and military to have a leader who has a history of belittling women well obviously half the country did think that was okay for four years at least and we'll see again in the next election seems to me as though like men like andrew tate don't almost like they're so hard-headed it's inhibiting their ability to error correct and actually take on board hey maybe when i said women are incompetent and maybe when i said all this stuff about pimping hose and stuff maybe at that point in my life like yeah I was being an idiot and I'm not that person anymore and I want to grow and become a better person. I want to take all the strengths that I've got now, but I want to get even better. And you know what? If you're a young man, listen to what I'm saying now, not what I was saying five years ago when I was pimping hose. Actually, like I've changed my views and it's this inability to like admit when they might have made a mistake that I think really, for me at least, I would respect them more if they were able to maintain that strength 
and courage and character, but also be able to like learn and adapt and admit like, hey, yep, I'm a changed person. I'm improving. I've updated my point of view. For Andrew Tate, it might be like, well, I'm Muslim now. My views on women have changed. I don't, I don't treat women like I used to tra- treat them. And yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I guess. Like, I guess to that, I imagine Andrew Tate would say, "You're saying you'd respect him more effectively if his first principles regarding women changed to be those of yours." Yeah, potentially. Um, it's. It seems like. At least to me, like it's not necessarily about like you can talk about the specific specifics of like women if you want. To me, it's more like you're you're going out there and you're making a case for your point. For, you're making a case for yourself, and actually respecting that other people might have legitimate things that you can learn from and update your opinion. It's like mm. he's had all these interactions with people across the world, and instead of like acknowledging that maybe whether it's with regards to women or something else, he's just doubled down and said he's still right. And he's always been right. And yeah, even if you yeah. pull something out point blank and read back what he said to him, he'll just deny that your interpretation is the correct interpretation. And <clears throat> and just it's it's this complete like the other your interlocutor doesn't have anything worthwhile that you can learn from. And the the hard thing yeah, is, is that sometimes those people who are geniuses really are actually um so outside the norm and so far ahead of their time or whatever that maybe for like years that is the case and you know maybe this person's genius in 10 years will look back and be like ahead of their time but sometimes it's just that that person is just being stubborn and actually just they're wrong they are actually just wrong yeah yeah there is a real rigidity to Andrew. Yeah, rigidity. I would say like that rigidity. I guess also. Yeah, that's a good word. It depends on what, what you're optimizing for and what you think his goal is. So yeah. I think what you're saying is very true if you assume that Andrew Has Tate's that goal. goal is to yeah. approach truth. <laughs> and to error yeah. correct. If, if his, I suppose like, I did if assume, you presume his goal, and this is what I suspect, yeah. to, be, to be effectively political, like to... Get more people interested in Andrew Tate so that he can sell stuff, so that he can, such that his ego is assuaged, that people are paying attention to him, et cetera, et cetera. Then this sort of behavior actually is quite adaptive. Like this is, this is probably more adaptive than sort of in a, in a more temperate way, telling certain people like, oh, you were right, I was wrong. So I guess it depends on what you think he's. I think that's a really good point to achieve with his behavior. I just assumed. I assumed my own ethics in, oh, like my own things that I think are worthwhile in the world, like error correction, the pursuit of truth, and like learning and that sort of stuff towards whatever my values are, which are completely irrelevant. Because uh, for Tate, he's obviously he's figured out what he wants in life. He knows how to get it, and he's learning and adapting to just keep on getting that. Which he is actually doing really fucking well. Mm. So. And he has been error correcting. Yeah. So, for example, when he left f- professional fighting, it was, at least if you believe him, because it wasn't making enough money and not making him famous enough. So that, like, going from that to having a harem of cam girls is, like, that's error correction if you're optimizing for fame and money. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, as I said previously, I think it's extremely crass. But 
I would also be very surprised if he took my opinion remotely seriously. So or any of his fans. I guess yeah, that's why it's always important to keep it top of yeah. mind. Like, what's the person's goal? And like his mm. goals is to make shitloads of money and be famous and fuck heaps of women. Like that's his goal. So he has been wanting to do yeah. that for at least a decade yeah. now. Yeah. And he's figured out how to do it. <laughs> he's done it. And now random people on the other side. <laughs> he's of, doing it well. Random people on the other side of the planet are making two-hour videos commenting on what he's doing. <laughs> so like, you know. Yeah, on what, what he's said or what? Like on what he has said through the cipher of one of his fans documenting what he said and publishing a book yeah. <laughs> and then sending Andrew Tate some of the proceeds from the book. So, yeah, I guess if, he, if that's what he wants for his life, then cool. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's, yeah, as I said before, it's not my cup of tea, so whatever. Um, <laughs> did, did, you have, uh, did you have any comments on the Pierce Morgan? I, I said Jack 2 interviews in particular. I watched them. Pierce Morgan and, and George Janko interviews. <laughs> I don't think I have anything more to say about them that I haven't already said because I've used them both yeah. as you know, as things to talk about when we were on previous subjects in this episode. The, Do you have more? Yeah, the only thing I'd like to add is that to me, and I don't know if this is he genuinely thinks this or he like sat down and strategically thought how he's going to frame the narrative, but the Matrix and the people attacking him He's like he complains about other people being victims, and that his entire narrative is being a victim of the Matrix. The Matrix cancelled me. The yeah, Matrix locked yeah. me up in prison, and I'm never going to kill myself. And if I, somebody says I committed suicide, then they're going to come and kill me next. Like, is he sincere about that? Yeah, Maybe yeah. he's sincere, or is he? Does he just know his audience, and he knows if he uses this conspiratorial thing, he yeah, can I think, play it, I to think that. it's hyperbolic, <laughs> and. Because the flip side of it is actually, no, you were doing uh, human trafficking and you were committing these crimes and you're going to get convicted and actually all this stuff is just big fucking bullshit and you're just trying to, as I said before, control the frame. That's also another possibility of what the outcome of this is. But if he keeps on playing this narrative of victimization by the Matrix, if he does get convicted, so he wins either way. If he gets convicted and he spends five years in prison or whatever, yeah, his fan base goes, "It's the fucking Matrix," <laughs> victimizing our big, yeah, our big warrior. He gets to martyr himself, and if he beats the trial or it never goes to trial, he still gets to win. He still gets to say, "I went toe to toe with the fucking Matrix and I won." <laughs> so it's just like, <laughs> I don't know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I I think that's it's again like it's it's not for me, and I. I, maybe the only thing I should say about that is to me, it's so like, it's, it's so, uh, I don't know, is he being cynical or is he legit? Uh, to me, I just feel like I can see through it. I think you can be both at the same time. Like I, but when I read the YouTube, um, I have in my notes here, like the YouTube comments or Instagram or whatever, or Twitter, there's just so many people just sucking him off. And it's like, you guys don't see through this. Like he's playing you yeah. guys like a fucking fiddle. He's got like millions of people who are just eating up all this crap. And it's like, he is frame controlling. He's frame controlling the fuck out of like 8 million people on Twitter. Mm. And they have, it's almost like they, they, they can't just see through the, this guy is just a megalomaniac who just wants your attention, wants to make as much money as possible. And he'll just say whatever he can to keep on doing that. Yeah. And I guess the question is, what is the 
the unmet need that he is he's amongst those people yeah these particular fans yeah yeah stick by him for yeah i i mean if there's any fans listening to it now like let us know what the hell is like whether you're a fan of ours or not or you just happen to get the youtube recommender like give this to you and you've actually managed to get to this point tell us why we're full of shit (laughs) tell us like why how we've misinterpreted or misrepresented or misunderstood andrew tate and his fans that'd be great enlighten me please how about okay how about i can be if not tate but then (laughs) the the the, the representation of his fans perhaps it's yeah perhaps they would say western society has feminism and really focuses on women's needs there are in the newspapers and on tv and on the internet at least prestige institutions will constantly celebrate women doing things even though those are things that men have been doing for far longer and maybe doing better we're getting ignored at work men are committing suicide at a higher and higher rate and all anyone really seems to do is say oh men are killing themselves at a greater rate and then not do anything more or start talking about women's issues again. So perhaps for Andrew Tate's audience, Tate is someone coming along and saying, I acknowledge these problems, I hear you, I'm going to tell you how to get out of this. And it's by going against and doing basically like just picking the opposite of what these institutions that have abandoned you or you feel have abandoned you are telling you to do. Mm. While at the same time, I will go out and find the people who make you feel insignificant or make you feel bad or passed over, and I will piss them off so badly. I will go up to them and say what you wish you were able to say, but you're not famous enough or articulate enough or brave enough. I will go and say all of these things in front of them. I will record their their responses, which oftentimes is just getting angry because most of the time... At least with like shit lib commentators, when someone pushes back on them, they just get angry and call like the person pushing back on them names. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically. Yeah, yeah. Like they call them sexist and racist. Like they resort to name calling yeah. and not much else. And I imagine it's really gratifying to have someone like Andrew Tate, on whom those things don't work. Like you can call him whatever you want, and he's going to smile at you and say, "Yeah, fine. Yeah. Like I'm wealthier than you. I have sex with more women than you. Like call me names. I don't care. Yeah. Maybe that's it." Yeah, like uh, as you said, you like, used the I'm word before, not, like martyr. I'm not someone in that position, so I don't, I don't really feel that. Yeah, but that's my best guess at the the appeal of Andrew. Yeah, Tate. so he's kind of he's a martyr, you know, in some sense, or like, he, or he might say warrior. He's a warrior. He's going out and he's speaking truth to power. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's a martyr because he's like, how is he being martyr? He's with the, so, no, okay, with if the he goes trial. to prison, then I guess he'll be. No, even before, sense, but, it, no, regardless yeah, but of whether he goes now, to prison, he's already like, he's just been getting wealthier and wealthier. No, 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 regardless of whether he goes to prison, the like as soon as he started getting cancelled, he started he switched into martyr mode. He said, "Look what they're doing to me. Mm. The Matrix is coming after." Him. He calls mm. it a Matrix mm. attack for like the last eighteen months. He's been saying this is a Matrix attack. Yeah, and then as soon as they came to his. Uh, property and sees his assets and stuff that was more fuel for him to say i'm a martyr the matrix is attacking me i like i'm speaking to mm, men i'm mm. empowering the the strong masculine yeah, look youth. how, they look treat how they're treating me it's because it's because i got too big i got too big and i was speaking too much truth and now they're coming after me like he's been martyring himself like two years now mm, <laughs> mm. he's totally playing into it um yeah 
It's a strange combination of he spins, he definitely spins a martyr narrative, but at the same time, it, there's also a narrative of I can't be martyred because, like, no matter what they try to do, I just get wealthier, I just get more famous, I just get harder and harder to kill. They can't kill me, no matter how hard they try. So it's a strange superposition of a martyr narrative and an invincibility narrative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Superhero meets a martyr meets a victim. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, all of those things that you said, a fan of his might say some of those things. Uh, to them, I'd say I'm glad that you can find somebody who's representing your point of view online. Um, mm. Cool, I suppose. Like, I mean, I guess it, it could just be identity politics for for wayward men or men whose lives just aren't where they wish they were. Yeah, were interesting. Identity, politi- uh, identity politics for wayward men. Hmm. Yeah, I, that's an interesting way of putting it, potentially. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, when I was thinking about this episode, and maybe I'll do this in the future, is like for all our episodes, I tried to think of multiple interpretations of Andrew Tate and the stuff that I've read and consumed of his. Uh, a, uh, a, a cynical narrative. So what's a cynical narrative or explanation I could spin of this, the cynical interpretation, then a generous one or a, like the kindest one I can take. And I found that like juxtaposing those two things, I felt like, oh, it, maybe there's somewhere in, it's more like in the middle or like some, a third one, like try to be reasonable. You take your, your thesis and your antithesis and you get your synthesis out the other end which is like maybe andrew tate is fairly cynical and he was fairly cynical but also there's like some truth in him he cares about these issues now he didn't care about them as much before when he was just pimping hose and making millions of dollars off streaming girls but now that he's gotten the fame he wants to do something with it something useful with it and he's trying to like leave that other stuff behind and you know like i think you you can probably get uh, uh, a a candid interpretation of that stuff that acknowledges the the negatives without getting sucked into just his marketing propaganda and just 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 ad- adopting his frame. Mm. Yeah, it's such is his capability of controlling frames. It's very hard to interact with him without falling into. Some some particular frame that he wants you to interact with him, uh, within. Yeah. He's he's very good at controlling how people talk about him. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> our last piece here, and Jack and Levi, we can obviously cut this out if you like, Jack. If this is not for your liking, but we can. I don't know if I can, it's been three hours. I don't know if I can. Has it been bothered. three hours? Oh shit! We've been out for like yeah. three hours. Damn, damn, that was a long episode. Well, no, let's skip, let's this, skip bit. this bit. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll we'll skip the last bit. Uh, I don't have anything else to say then. And I, right. I, 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 yeah. Do you have many final? thoughts? I was able to sneak in like a, a bit of biltong there as well. So <laughs> Jack's probably wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In terms of, would I recommend Andrew Tate or not? No, 
in large part for what I said earlier, in that it's it's really hard to know what of what he says you know is meant to be taken seriously, and what of what he says is just purely self-aggrandizement. He's saying it so that he can in- increase the number of viewers or listeners that he has, the the number of courses that he can sell because the top of the sales funnel has been broadened. So I, I wouldn't really recommend him from the perspective of actually learning how you should behave in in day-to-day life. In terms of seeing someone who speaks in public well and who's very good at a particular type of very combative, um, like who, who can get through very combative interviews you know, in a sense, well, not in the, not in not well in the sense of actually imparting knowledge, but in the sense of just beating his interlocutor silly. Like he's he's good. He's a very impressive public speaker. Beyond that, though, I wouldn't really recommend him. Beyond like fifteen minutes of one of his interviews, just see how he speaks. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I think all the good stuff that we've spoken about with Andrew Tate, you can get from other sources that don't come with all the baggage, like Chris Williams, Mon wisdom podcast talks about a lot of these issues and doesn't drag women through the mud and doesn't talk shit about other people and doesn't just pump the ego of a single person um so go and find other more positive um masculine role models if that's something that you need in your life I guess, yeah, if you need an internet dad, yeah, which I imagine Andrew Tate is filling that role. Yeah. Like, you know, Jordan Peterson is also an internet dad. <laughs> Joe Rogan, to some extent, internet dad. I guess when you're, when you're selecting an internet dad, if you You've really so need like that sort of paternal like, figure in your life, I've uh, <laughs> got a world of choice. But I guess a, a significant consideration is why are they doing this? And in, again, I don't really interact with this part of the internet much but i anticipate there are some of them who are doing it because they really do think that young men need yeah. some sort of guidance that for that perhaps they wish they had yeah. and those who are doing it for people other than themselves i uh, would, would probably give you better advice yeah. in andrew tate's case i get the overwhelming overwhelming impression that he's doing it for andrew tate yeah he's not doing it for you if you're someone who listens to him a lot for advice and things like that, it's important to bear in mind he's doing this so he can make more money and can become more famous because that gratifies him. And that's fine for him to do that. You just need to bear in mind you're not supposed to be the beneficiary of this. No. Yeah. That's, at least that's at this him. point in his career. Maybe that will change in the future. But, yeah. Yeah. Any, I think as a general rule of thumb, if the way that somebody wants to sell you something, whether it's a course or anything else, if they're belittling you and calling you a loser and all that sort of stuff, like they don't have your best interest at heart. They're like, yeah, it's a sales, it's a sales tactic. tactic. They're just trying to um, essentially uh, just induce demand, induce demand by honing in on your um, insecurities. And to me, mm. like that's if if it's working on you, you should do some self reflection, you know, and and think like, well, do I feel like a loser? Am I a loser? And if that's the case, is somebody like Andrew Tate who literally has made a career out of just like honing in on those parts of men's insecurities, 
is that really the person I want to like get help from for fixing these things? Or are there like more positive male role models mm. that I can look to, to like work on these things? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have much more to say. Um, I think we've, yeah, I only had one. I only had one more thing to say. Um, oh yeah. Which was, uh, <clears throat> actually a, uh, Buy my book. Buy, buy Jack. Buy Jack. Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a sales <laughs> funnel for buying Tower by Jack BC. Yeah, my only uh, thing to say is uh, 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 Carl Jung quote that I read um, from a book that I've been reading. He says, uh, mm. everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. So there's a lot that I found irritating about Andrew Tate and I've learned a lot <laughs> about myself in seeing like, <laughs> in seeing, in like thinking through that stuff in particular, like, I don't know. I think like being a man, being a good man, a good father, brother, whatever, husband and all those sorts of things, being a good person to yourself, take care of your body and all that sort of stuff. All great things. Um, but if you have to do that at the expense of others, are you really a good man? I don't think so. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Well, that's me done. Is that all we've we've got for Andrew Tate? Yeah. Got three hours wanted, of us talking about Andrew. Tate. I never want to talk about him again. I never want to see his face again. I never want to consume another piece of content about or by him. <laughs> so I'm done. <laughs> I'd rather read another F Gardner book. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> yeah, legit. Like for sure. And right. at least F Gardner is a nice person. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>